Hey, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I woke up and I'm just in this bed and, um, I don't really know what's going on here, but I feel like I washed ashore on an island and one of you two beautiful maidens must, must have, uh, must have dragged me up here. Um, I don't know. I'm just a little shocked to wake up in a bed that's not my own is what I'm trying to say. It feels very back to the future-esque to me. You and me both, yeah. buddy. Yeah, it was, it was weird. We just found you on the beach shore. I mean, it was pretty hard getting down there, too. There's like a bunch of like spiky enemies that we had to hop over, and there's like a monkey in a tree. I got so, sand I mean, everywhere. It's a pain, yeah. man. So oh, you're no. welcome. Oh, my gosh. Well, well, my name, my name, you, people call me Link, but for the purposes of, of this moment here on this, what looks to be, as I can look out the window, a beautiful island you got, you got yourselves here, folks. Um mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Connor, and and of course, after, it, it's no surprise to anyone listening to this episode now, and very obvious the connection we're making between uh, the the moments we just described and the episode we are here to do today. Um, uh, my name is Connor, of course, here to host another episode of the Legend of Zelda Games Club from Super <laughs> NPC Radio, which of course is your bi-monthly book club style episode where your favorite buds from the Super NPC Radio Tooniverse get together to discuss <laughs> nearly the entire library of mainline Zelda games. Um, there's a couple ways you could be listening to this right now. You could be um, one of our patrons at the DJ Toad tier, the $10 tier on our Patreon. Um, if you're one of those people, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate the support. Hope you're having a ton of fun getting these live as they drop uh, twice a month. Um, and then you could also be someone listening to this after we release this later this year for free on its own feed. And to you, Thanks for finding us. Uh, check out the other episodes we have. Um, this is the fourth one that we've done this year, but uh, they've been an absolute blast. Uh, so yeah, uh, check out all the stuff we got going on here at Super NPC Radio. Um, of course, I can't do this alone um, because, you know, I would have probably just, like, I don't know, dr- like suffocated on some sand on the beach if, if it weren't for the two <laughs> people joining me today. Um, I think... You know, you're obviously from this island, but uh, I did want to just introduce you here. Uh, First, we've got Mr. Nick Limone. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Good to be back. Hey, good to have you here. Uh, Of course, the Super NPC Radio favorite um, from a handful of uh, video games, a comedy show episodes and uh, the Chrono Trigger uh, call me by your game episode, and then the actually Nick, you've already been featured on. I'm only the, here for Zelda. I'm only here for Zelda. That's it. <laughs> you know, what? every time I try to bring up something else, Nick is Nick is very healthy about setting boundaries. So Nick, I gotta mm-hmm. say, really proud of you, buddy. Um, but yeah, you've been on a number of of shows, including the Zelda Games Club uh, Breath of the Wild episode, which we released. We just re-released the co-op episode from last year. Um, so people are already familiar with you, but. Thank you so much for being back, but we're not, it's not just Nick and I, there's someone else here with us, another favorite of the Super NPC Radio family of people that we have here. Yeah, I'm calling it a family to gaslight everyone into, into, into you know, working for, uh, you know, uh, no health insurance or wages, but uh, Cody Ziegler, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Always, uh, I always love talking about video games and I love talking about them with you, so uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Well, gosh darn it! Aren't I already blushing over here, um, dude? I feel the exact same way. Uh, we've had a lot of fun uh, chats about games over the last year. Mm-hmm. Most recently, um, uh, we, you and I, got to do the Shadow of the Colossus co-op episode. Oh, yeah. 
uh, yeah. with it's Alec and Roxy. Game. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was an absolute blast. So so yeah, it's good to have you uh, you two here. I will really. It's good to be here because I am <laughs> the guest on this island. I'm going to keep this up um, for about two more minutes before I before I leave that <laughs> the premise behind until something mm-hmm. a little later. Um, but we are here today to discuss uh, the fourth game in the Zelda series, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Um, so uh, as these two know, we've got a bit of, we've got a fun plan for today. But before we, you know, really get into... Um, this game, I would actually like to hear from, uh, I think Nick, I maybe have heard from you before, but it's been a while. I'd love to hear about your, uh, just like generic, uh, experience with the Zelda series. Um, Zig, why don't we start with you? Uh, Mm. do you, what's like your history with the series in general? Uh, funny enough, this was my entry into the Zelda series. Like I just, this, like I distinctly remember, being like, I guess six when this came out and my mom taking me to Kmart and buying me a Game Boy completely out of the blue. Like I'd never, I didn't know what a Game Boy was. I never asked her for one, but she bought me one. And with the Game Boy came this Zelda game. And like, this was like the first game I ever had on Game Boy. And, uh, it took me, I think five years to beat it because I lost my Game Boy. Oh, like no. I just couldn't find it. And so I came back and like, I finished Zelda, but like, this is like what got me into it. And like through that is how I got in like Zelda 64. And like, I would go back and forth like, I usually skip like every other generation. Um, like I'll, I did this, I did 64 and then I came back for Wind Waker. Cool. Then I took a break and I, then, you know, Breath of the Wild really brought me back in. And like, nice. I, that's probably, I think that might be, um, top three of my favorite video games is Breath of the Wild. Uh, Ooh. it's one, I mean, I, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but, um, it's what, what I like so much about the Zelda series is that each one, um, really finds a new interesting way to like make the sense of adventure feel like an adventure. And like my distinct breath of the wild memory uh, was like, I had been playing it for like 15, 20 hours. Like I thought I knew what was going on. <laughs> like I was just walking around like that little like Hyrule Plains area. Yes. And I hear this really, this, this fantastic music I've never heard before. And I look up and I just see a dragon like coming yes. down from the sky. And I remember saying out loud, like they have dragons in this game. <laughs> <laughs> like I had spent so much time in this game and like I had still discovered something new and like that was like that to me is like my that encapsulates that moment encapsulates what I love most about the Zelda series. That's so cool that the way that th- those moments can happen in Breath of the Wild is really special. I love uh, you know it, it, every game's different on how it's going to present mm-hmm. its moments. I do like you know more of a, a cinematic game like Ocarina of Time where they frame up all the shots and the cutscenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But in Breath of the Wild, those are pretty few and far between and just making a discovery like that of something that big can Mm -hmm. feel organic uh, because Mm -hmm. you, like you said, you hear the music, you're like, wait, something's going on. And then you shift your camera and there's the, there's the dragon up there. It's like that, that, that's the entire series. Like uh, for that game anyway, I remember like, I, I picked it up like maybe six months ago after not playing it for a while. And like, I just discovered like a whole surfing village that I didn't know existed. Oh, yeah. Like, and there's like a huge giant Leviathan skeleton, like nearby, like they're just all these things that I keep finding every time I go back to the game. And, uh, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such, it fills me with such childlike wonder. And it, I'm very, uh, I think that's why I'm so keyed into the, to this game series. I love it. 
Ah, that's great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm so, I gotta say, so glad that your mom made that uh, decision. It was almost <laughs> as if it was like a, she knew it would lead to this moment. Yes. I think it was a call from above to like divine <laughs> intervention for her yeah. to do that for you to get you here. Uh, mm-hmm. well, dude, thank you. I'm so excited to hear even more from you today, specifically mm-hmm. about Link's Awakening. Um, but uh, Mr. Nick Limone, uh, it's been a while since we've talked to you about the Zelda series. Would you mind giving us a little rundown of like your general experience as well? Yeah. Uh, so oh, also, by the way, Cody, I also really love uh, uh, Lorellan Village, that little surf yeah. uh, fishing yeah. village. Just I, That's like my favorite village in like, I think probably all of gaming. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's so cute. It's so charming. And it's like missable. You, yeah, exactly. You don't actually have to go there for any point of the game. It's just if you wander on it, it's just yeah, it's a delight. Um, but uh, I think my experience with the Zelda game is uh, early '90s with the Super Nintendo. Uh, my older brother, obviously, it was his Super Nintendo, and I just got <laughs> to play with it when he deemed fit that I was able to play it. And uh, <laughs> it was Link to the Past was my first one, and it was one of those games where I was like, oh. I'm too little to play this game. Like it was, it was, it was a game that I was like, I don't understand this, but I want to. Yes. But maybe when I get older, I can figure it out. And so, uh, fast forward, my brother got an N64 and Ocarina of Time. And so finally I was like, I think I'm ready. And so Ocarina of Time, I think was truly the first Zelda game I played from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I think I love this sort of thing. And then over the course of the year, over the course of years, you know, Majora's Mask, uh, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, I was like, man, Zelda's so good. And then by the end of Twilight Princess, a little bit worn out on Zelda, you know, I played all the handheld ones, uh, save for Link's Awakening, actually. Hadn't played that one. Uh, and then got to Skyward Sword and I was like, maybe I'm just too old for Zelda now because these <laughs> games are like for kids. They're like, they're so easy. They they hold your hand too much. And then, you know, I was like, ah, you know, maybe I'm over Nintendo because Wii era specifically, I was like, it feels like it's not really being catered to me, which is okay. Like, you know, there's other games for me to play, but it really feels like baby's first video game now, the Wii era specifically. <laughs> And then uh, Nintendo announced Breath of the Wild, and it was very much like, hey, it's an open-world Zelda game. And I did the the Vince McMahon, like, mm, yeah. what's this? <laughs> what's going on over here? And that's when I kind of learned to re-fall in love with the series because it, it was a game that, you know, killed you uh, immediately. You know, it had yes. zero qualms with killing you in the opening tutorial area. Over and, and so over. That, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and so with that, I was like, I'm going to go revisit the Zelda games I never played, which was Link's Awakening. And I remember downloading it on my 3DS, ready to play it on a plane. <laughs> and then I just fell asleep. And I was like, well, I guess I'll try that another time. <laughs> then... They announced the Grezzo port of the like the remake for the Switch. I was like, oh, I'll just play that one. And so I was like, wow, I really missed out after playing through that game because I'm like, this game's great. But also, I I started looking up like Let's Plays and just screens of uh, the original Link's Awakening on Game Boy. And it's beautiful. And I was like, yeah. oh, I kind of mm. want to play that now just because like I've played the remake but the Link's Awakening on Game Boy just it holds up the the sprite work is beautiful and I think it does a lot of uh, more interesting things than uh, even the the remake yeah it's it's interesting because Nick like you I also played the remake before the Game Boy version at least all the way through and I'll get into it later but I was surprised at how much 
I I mean, I'll, there's no spoiler, but like how much I think I prefer the Game Boy version as much as I still love the remake. Mm-hmm. There's something really charming about it. Um, and we'll get into that, but mm-hmm. that's, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, and I hope later this year, uh, you know, I, I feel like if I were a betting man, which, uh, which I am, uh, <laughs> actually I'm not, I don't gamble at all. Um, I would, I'm like certain we're going to get something from Zelda this year. I feel like we mm-hmm. will probably get an announcement of the actual release date, whether it's later this year or next March for Breath of the Wild sequel. I feel mm-hmm. like we're going to get some like re- like a remake or something. I don't know. I've I'm I believe that it's that don't some stuff is hope. happening. Don't yeah. give me hope. Nintendo <laughs> loves do dashing those dreams. <laughs> they do. Here's here's what I've I have posited before on several shows. I don't think that they're going to do it because they want to, you know, serve their fan base or honor the fans. I think that they're going to do some stuff like that or have planned for a couple of years to do so because they would be leaving so much money on the table if they didn't. Like, mm. they know that if they release, like, even if they just released a 3D All-Stars, like, half-assed mm-hmm. port, like they did of the 2 and 64 games and maybe something else or just those, we would mm-hmm. buy it. So, yeah. so anyway, I, I, I think some stuff is going to happen, and I hope we have more to talk about at the end of the year. Um, it'll be interesting. Uh, well, thank you both for sharing your just, you know, broad history with the series. Um, before we get into our personal experiences with this game, I'm gonna just give us a few broad strokes of the game, um, sort of just a little to whet the appetite. And if you two want to, <laughs> um, add on, uh, interrupt, uh, feel free. Cause this is, as you can see, it's, it's not too much, but We'll dive into it starting now. Uh, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening is a 1993 action-adventure game from Nintendo, originally uh, for the Game Boy and fourth in the Zelda series. Uh, And it is not only the first handheld Zelda game, but also uh, the first and very few not to take place in Hyrule or feature Zelda, the Triforce, and for the most part, Ganon. There's a little tiny bit of Ganon in this game, but it's not really him anyway. (laughs) Um, We'll get into that. Uh, Sometime after his adventure in A Link to the Past, Link washes up on the shore of Koholint Island and soon learns that in order to leave, he must, you know, quite like the island that I I washed up on, you know, Mm -hmm. here. Um, just a reminder that whole thing is going on. Um, (laughs) uh, he learns that he must wake up the wind fish, which sleeps in a giant egg at the top of the island. Um, the game is known for being the first weird one, uh, establishing (laughs) and establishing a handful of series norms and also featuring Mario characters. Uh, it was critically and commercially successful and was re-released as Link's Awakening DX for the Game Boy Color in 98. And then as we've already sort of discussed, a full remake for the game uh, came out on September 20th, 2019 for the Nintendo Switch, and it featured several changes from the original. Um, sort of just broad strokes, but you know mm-hmm. we're going to get into the development history, the, the reception, and our personal... Um, our, you know, experiences in the book club part, but Mm. did either of you two have anything you want to sort of add about like just broad strokes about this game before we really get into it? 
Yeah. So like I said, this is my first entry into the actual Zelda game. So like everything that you're mentioning it and being like breaking from the, the Zelda norms, I thought was like just what the series was about. Like I thought yeah. that it, like I thought that it took place in like a weird Mario world because they had like the chompy chomps on the chains <laughs> and stuff. Oh, I, was yeah. like, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like they're like in the same universe. And like I thought that every Zelda game would have me oh. like playing instruments and like fighting weird fish demons. And then like I played <laughs> Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time. I was like, that was so like you're you're not on an island. You're, like, you're not fighting like. <laughs> Like, like fish people and like there wasn't like any Yoshis or like, you know, or, or toadstools hanging around. So like I was really thrown for a loop <laughs> like six years later when I when I really got into like the mainstream, the mainstream series of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's so I was sort of thinking about the similar idea today, um, Zig, because this is essential. No, this is the most recent. The Game Boy version is the most recent Zelda game I've played for the first time all the way through. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I also came to it very late after having played the majority of the series. So to me, um, it it was almost the opposite to where I'm so used to the typical formula, mm-hmm. even though my second most play, played game in the series is Majora's Mask, which obviously deviates in significant ways as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it was almost exaggerated how much this broke from the series because I'm, <laughs> I was like truly just the opposite of you. It's not where I started at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Nick. Any any broad strokes that you felt like uh, adding before getting into like personal experiences? Uh, yeah, I think that it was. Uh, even though it's a game that I played for the first time pretty recently, it's definitely one of those games that, as I was getting into Zelda, I was like, "Wait a second! You mean that Game Boy One's a direct sequel? Direct sequel to the best Zelda game, Link to the Past? Yeah. <laughs> what I thought at the time was the best mm-hmm. Zelda game, and that that really fascinated me because I saw like screenshots you know I, I researched what the game was just because you know i was like well i don't have you know i i'm a person without disposable income at the time of my interest <laughs> mm-hmm. so like let me look up what the game is because i want to know everything there is to know about it, especially since it's the sequel to one of my favorite zeldas and the thing that fascinated me was like you know it, it picks up immediately after the first game or at least sometime after the first game with link leaving hyrule on a boat and that that's the part that really intrigued me i was like why is he leaving like what's he doing was is he trying to find something like what's yeah. going on with link mm-hmm. and so that kind of really piqued my curiosity because it, it was like well i mean i thought he had a happily ever, ever after in, in link to the past <laughs> yeah. because they make a very big point to like parade everyone around showcase <laughs> yes. all the snapshots of everyone all over hyrule i'm like so what's going on and so there's there's that that little thing that it, it really piqued my curiosity because you know ocarina of time majora's mask there's that similar um link leaves hyrule in search of something it's it's almost like the hero has something that they're missing in their life and they don't know where they can find it, but they're going to try. And that really, really hooked me of like, oh, what do you mean? Just being the hero isn't enough. There's something more. There's something, you know, that's not handed to them. And, and that really just got me. I don't know what it is about that, but it's like the hero's journey is incomplete. And, yeah. and I really, really like that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, for the majority of the series, at least from what I can remember, um, Maybe this happens because most of the time Link is not carrying out like his story or like his mission or, you know, mm-hmm. um, something that's extremely personal to him. He's like this, you he's know, a very reactionary character. Like he always he's always reacting to something. He's never questing for his own his own mm-hmm. his own wants. Definitely. And I think that's maybe why 
both Majora and Link's Awakening also, and maybe that's why you feel that way, Nick, because I think that's part of the reason why I feel that way. Um, cause I, I can relate very much to that. There's something intriguing about like, all right, he's done what he was supposed to do for other people, but like what's going on with him and where's he headed is just, mm-hmm. it's intriguing. It's really fun. Um, and like how else would you react to like, Oh, what do you mean that there's an alternate dimension world <laughs> that, <laughs> yes. that occupies the same space as my current physical realm? Like <laughs> that's got to mess with you. Same with Ocarina of Time link where it's just like, well, you know, I saw what the I saw a literal apocalyptic version of what the world would have looked like if I didn't do it. I feel like I've done everything there is to do, but you know, you still have that empty feeling inside. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. It really is. Um, ah, I'm so excited at the start we're already off to. Um, but and the, I so I want to pivot next into our uh, to talk about our personal experiences. Um, with the game, before we get into the history and context um, uh, and the development, um, Zig, you sort of already like had taken us down part, at least part of your road by getting mm-hmm. this at a Kmart, taking like five years to beat because you um, <laughs> lost your Literally game. Literally lost the Game Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but hey, you know, you know what they say: if you love something, set it free, and if it's meant to be yours, it'll come back to you. So yeah. I think. We got I, an answer. I, I have distinct memories of like beating the game. Like I am. Um, so yeah, it was like I said, it was my first Zelda game. And also it was my first, um, it was my first like sort of non-platformer. Cause again, I was like six. So like all my idea of a video game was like, you go from left to right and then you jump on mm-hmm. things and, or maybe you run around in a loop if you're Sonic and like, that's how video games work. So like the idea of like going up and down and then you can go from right to left already just like blew my mind open. I was like, Oh my God, like this world is huge. You can go up and down and right to left. So like I was already like being like, Oh wow, this is crazy. And like the idea of like, this is like, you know, 1993. So the idea of like, you can affect the world and with like how you act. So like, I remember that you could, you could steal stuff from the <laughs> shop owner. Yes. And I remember like, I remember like, you know, like stealing a shield, like maybe like, you know, the, the first hour of the game, and like <laughs> I had it. And then like, I went back and then like the, the guy would like kill you if you go back. Yes. I was like, oh my God, you have consequences for doing bad things. I won't do bad things. Or like, I remember it was also the first time that I found out like about like the whole chicken thing where like, you know, I attacked a chicken one yes. too many times because I thought it was very funny. And then all of a sudden you're just mm. getting swarmed. <laughs> and like, as a kid, like I just wasn't used to like having the video game react to like my decisions that I would make, especially bad decisions, like intentionally me spirited decisions like that already threw me for a loop but also like i think it was it was really the literally the first game that i remember noticing how much i enjoyed the music like that overworld mm. thing that you hear mm. constantly so it's such an addictive like it's like you know a, a minute and a half loop that you can just listen to constantly and constantly it sounds better every time but like so yeah I, I finished the first two dungeons when i was like six or seven and i just lost my game boy i had no idea where it was at oh. and i found it again when i was in middle school at like you know 10 or 11 and like i had i went to like game facts and like looked up like how to like beat the game and like i finally beat the game and it was the most it's still to this day is the most rewarding feeling i've ever had accomplishing something because it took me damn near six years to beat the <laughs> game and it was worth every single minute oh. oh i love that that's so that's so fantastic it's I feel like most of the Zelda games, I wanted to touch on a point you brought up about, you know, you're like your, your actions having consequences. I feel like, you know, for, in a lot of cases and correct me if I'm wrong, either of you, but I feel like this, that's a rare instance of you having consequence apart aside from just, you know, enemies defeating you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the cuckoos, they do that. That is funny. Cause that is like the one example of that maybe in every game, 
but the thief thing and the guy calls you thief yeah. after mm-hmm. that yeah. and i think your 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 uh like even your save title goes from like if it was zig it would go to thief then yeah <laughs> which is interesting uh that's so cool uh nick you also sort of started to touch on your personal experience with this game downloading it for the 3ds but was there more that you wanted to share uh yeah it's it, uh it was one of those games where, like, after I played it from beginning to end, I kind of looked at them. I was like, what, what was I thinking waiting so long? Because yeah, I, dude. I, think, I, I think my favorite Zelda games, you know, outside of Breath of the Wild, are the handheld ones. Uh, Ocarina of... I'm sorry. Um, oh, my gosh. Oracle, Oracle? of Ages yeah. and Oracle of Seasons oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. are some of my favorite Zelda games. And the, I knew that they were modeled after Link's Awakening. Um, and then, you know, Minish Cap and all that. So I'm just like, why have I waited so long to play this game? Like, this seems like right up my alley. It's more of a good thing. And uh, the thing that always kind of annoyed me as I got older with Zelda is the fact that it was so handholdy linear yeah. that it, it like, there were items that you had to get in order to complete your quest to save Hyrule or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that really annoyed me because in Link's in Link to the Past, there's so many items that are missable. There's upgrades to your weapon that are missable. You don't need to mm. run across them. Um, but that was part of the fun to me is like finding stuff because you, you know, Zelda in its core creation is a game of like original Zelda on NES is a game about exploration. It is an, an exploring and adventuring game, I think, first before it's an action game. Mm-hmm. And I re- it really annoyed me that as I got older, Zelda became less and less about exploring there was less rewards for exploring but link to the past you know if you ventured off the beaten path you can get additional bottles you can get sword upgrades you can get uh, shield upgrades you can get new tunics and stuff like that you can get a, a new weapon uh you know a, a magic meter upgrade there's so many different things you didn't have to do yeah and i and i love that the game rewarded you for exploring and so all of the handheld games did something similar where there's you know there's the ring system and oracle of uh seasons and ages uh you know minish cap had a bunch of stuff and it just uh, this is very much in that same vein where there are things you can uh miss there are things you you don't have to find but i just love that the game rewards you for finding them and and it's so it's so cool um and, and i think the last thing i'll say is um since i played this game as an adult I think I, in retrospect, uh, I really appreciate the way that game ends. Um, mm-hmm. I think it might be one of my favorite Zelda game endings just because of a lot of its implications. Um, I love that, you know, I'm, 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 as I've gotten older, I've known like, oh, surrealism is like one of my favorite things in the world, whether it be mm-hmm. cinema, TV, or video games. And I think this game does a good job of like walking that line of surrealism, um, but still mm-hmm. making it like a fun and approachable game. And the thing that really gets me is surrealism as like a a, a space to explore, quote unquote, trauma. Like you know, it's a it's a fake video game. You know, yeah. Link Link has no real trauma, but you know, if you think about it. If you were the hero of time and if you saved the world from evil creatures, that probably messes with you to some extent. <laughs> yeah. And I and I love that the last boss of uh, Link's Awakening is, you know, it's all a dream, of course, 
Um, but I, I love that the final boss takes the form of all of the bosses from Link to the Past. It, it shows you that you know this Link is still coping with the trauma of having survived, uh, you know, uh, an entity that is threatening to 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 destroy the world. And and I just really like that this game, like even in his dreams, he's still thinking about the big <laughs> encounters he had. And I, I, it's just very powerful to me for some reason. I, I like that a kids game dared to kind of you know it's not it doesn't hit you over the head with it but i like that the game a kid's game especially allows for room to explore those kinds of concepts if you feel like mm-hmm. it absolutely and i think it, it this game is obviously has a i would say a lot more distinct and clear um story that's going on even from a link to the past which has more than zelda one does um but this game um, sort of what you're saying is like, it also still leaves room for that, you know, interpretation or, or, you know, you imprinting what you think is going on or like what you're receiving from the game. Kind of like, I felt like a link to the past leaves a lot of room for that. Um, mm-hmm. and this game mm-hmm. is a little, a little more between a link to the past and Ocarina as far as like a clear, deliberate, uh, story goes. Um, but that's, that's so cool. And so interesting. Uh, and, that's like a part of the game that is uh, that I, I feel like it, the more I've played it and thought about it, the more it keep, I keep thinking about it. So that's interesting. Um, I'll get into my personal history as well with this game. Kind of like you, Nick, I missed this as a kid, which is <laughs> sort of strange, but I sort of understand why not. I mean, it came out when I was three years old. I wouldn't have had a Game Boy <laughs> for a few years anyway. Um but then even when I had one, my I didn't know what the series was, kind of like Zig was sharing. Mm-hmm. My concept of video games were like Mario. It was just platformers moving side to side um, or, or really difficult games on the NES that I didn't like uh, for the most part. <laughs> um, but my foray, my entrance uh, into the series is uh, Ocarina of Time. Strangely enough, the same years that the X version had. And after that, I really got into video games. That was sort of like my christening as a game enjoyer uh, in mm-hmm. a way. And I became, you know, it was all about Nintendo Power, was like in all of it. But I would have definitely seen this in Nintendo Power as like top ga- Game Boy games by the readers or like them advertising their games, which those things were just propaganda for Nintendo anyway. I love Nintendo <laughs> Power, but that's what it was. Um, so I totally missed it. It wasn't until I think two to three years ago I, I was curious enough, having played part of Oracle, I downloaded the, the DX version on the 2DS that I had. And I think I played through like three dungeons, but I got stuck and then I just sort of lost interest. I sort of fell off. Like right after um, you have to, like you know the monkeys make the bridge for you? Yep. I think I had <laughs> done that gotten like the five golden leaves or whatever leaves or whatever you collect in that little castle area. Um, and that was pretty much it. Um, but I was familiar enough with what this game was about, uh, and, and its contents that when they had the trailer for the remake at this, like, I want to say it was like a February direct in 2019. Sounds right. It was like, the one last thing and as soon as it started somehow i just like knew what it was and i was so excited (laughs) and then uh i know the art style of the remake is divisive uh someone who will um 
might be joining us later. Who's to say, uh, Mr. Alec Robbins, I know is not a fan of the like toyetic, uh, mm-hmm. um, like Christmas, uh, special looking <laughs> graphics. I personally really loved it and was sold yeah. immediately. Um, so I, I got the game the day it came out. I got the, the little link amiibo as you two might be able to see behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, and adored it and also when i finally finished it i was like what was i doing my whole life having not (laughs) played this like all the way through i really loved it and then um this year uh for this series i i was gonna play through the because i've been doing these on stream i know nick you joined for a for a stream i did at the i think the first time i played this game online this year and I, f- I, f- I was playing that version, but I was like, you know what? I really want to play the DX version. So I played through both of them at the same time. And it was honest. I thought it might be too much. <laughs> I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. I loved it. And and that's sort of when I discovered my newfound um, preference mm-hmm. for the for the DX version, honestly. Um, yeah, I, I think I distinctly remember getting the DX version too. So like, you know, my like when I think of Zelda, I, I usually frame it in the idea of like playing it in my hands. Like that's how I'm used to playing it. Like, yeah. you know, Minish Cap, like Nick Minish, Min, mentioned Minish Cap. Like those are always like the Zelda games I went to first. Cause I never had a super Nintendo until I was much older. So like, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking like Link's Awakening, uh, Minish Cap. And like, I honestly played most of Breath of the Wild, like in handheld mode because that's what I'm just used to. Yeah. And, but like, I distinctly remember playing the, the DX version and being like, Oh my God, this, cause it's in colors. Like when I, the first one is just, you know, different shades of green. Yes. And it was like, you're playing a completely different, it's like seeing a 4k movie for the first time as a kid, <laughs> yes. you know, you're like, your mind just could, I could barely handle eight, 16 bits of color. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't believe I was playing this like a caveman before. Seriously. And still with no backlight, but still the color <laughs> definitely helped. I'm sure. Okay, so next, um, as I love to do for these uh, this series, we're going to dive into the history and context, specifically the development, and then the uh, release and reception. So I don't know how much um, you two have dove into the development of this game, but I'm going to start sharing stuff. Like like always, feel free to interrupt and I'll also leave space for, for us to chat too. Um, so... I guess where I want to start is uh, on the heels of the obvious astounding success of The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past for the Super Famicom and SNES in 1991, Nintendo didn't have any immediate plans for a follow-up. Um, and uh, I feel feel like I'm, I'm reading my own thing. Oh, no, we're talking about Link to the Past. Yes. The game was critically acclaimed upon release and remains one of the most revered games of all time. So there was just sort of this space where um, at least for... There, there. The plans for the next Zelda was still sort of up in the air. Um, mm-hmm. Are either of you familiar with how this game sort of finally got off the ground eventually? Otherwise, I am not. No, share. I know nothing about it. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it, it was. It's really interesting. So, um, Takashi Tezuka, who is who directed the link, a link to the past, and is you know one of those age old Nintendo heroes. Uh, one day after hours at, at Nintendo's offices, he like stumbled upon one of their programmers named Kazuaki Morita, who was experimenting with a Game Boy dev kit. 
and it looked like <laughs> he was crafting a very Zelda-like game uh, for the Game Boy, which had not been seen yet. Um, mm. So, and there was no official, this wasn't like some uh, secret call from uh, Miyamoto or anything. <laughs> he was just doing this for fun, really. And so Tezuka like takes an interest in this experiment. And at some point after uh, he and other developers began to routinely stay after work to work on this like unsanctioned game that is I've heard described. I don't know what like what what you know about it, Nick, but I've heard it described as like an after school club where they would just like stay back and work on this thing because it was so much fun. Yeah, and it was definitely done out of the gaze of Miyamoto because, um, like, historically in those times, if Miyamoto stumbled on you and he didn't like what he saw, I was like, stop what you're doing immediately and get back to work kind of thing. Yes. He's very much like a like a stern dad type. Totally. Uh, I, I'd be very curious to know what the company culture was like at Nintendo during those times. But, uh, yeah, it was very much... Uh, had Miyamoto stumbled upon them doing that, it'd be like, get Yoshi out of there. Get a chain <laughs> shop. What is that going on there? But the the fact that this was kind of a, an almost quote-unquote B team at yes. Nintendo, uh, people who weren't you know in charge of the console titles, they got mm. away with it. They, they got away with being able to do stuff outside the gaze of Miyamoto, which is very exciting because uh, had they not been able to do that, I don't think the game would have been anywhere near as weird as it ended up being. <laughs> um, Definitely, yeah. And I know that, like, as they were working on this as an after-school project, uh, <laughs> at the same time, Twin Peaks was a global sensation. Yes. It was a, it was a thing. Like, Twin Peaks was huge in the U.S., but mm-hmm. I think it had just as big of a following in Japan specifically. Oh, wow. Like, David, Japan loves David Lynch. And so the fact that it was so uh, common in pop culture back then, they were like, what if we made characters that were just as weird as the characters in Twin Peaks? <laughs> and what if we got familiar Zelda games and gave – or familiar Zelda characters and gave them that Twin Peaks twist, you know, where you can't really trust them. They're kind of acting mm. suspicious all the time. And That's cool. they kind of extrapolated that into the Zelda universe, which I think is why the game's so charming and why it's so enduring because it is so different than anything else other than like Majora's Mask. Absolutely. It's, That's it's so cool. It's funny. I feel like you don't always hear about what, you know, media is being consumed or adored by mm-hmm. teams like this or like writing staffs as they're writing a season of television. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is cool to specifically know what this staff was obsessed with, which, mm-hmm. and you can see that permeate its way into, <laughs> into this game. Cause I even think about the few, you know, the, the creative endeavors I've undertaken and I, maybe you two can speak to this, but when you're like inoculating yourself with like a show or a book or something mm-hmm. and you're really into it or truly this game, like I find that that just like finds itself into many to influence the way I'm creating. Yeah, 100%. exactly. It's, it's just part of, you know, it's one of the, you know, I can't remember who said this, but it's like one of the most important things about history isn't like what happened on that day, just like what the context around the thing. So it's like when someone makes an album, when like, you know, the Beatles released like their first album, whatever it is, I don't know the Beatles stand. I don't know why I picked them out of a hat. No, let it be known. Zig is a Beatles stand. But like, you know, it's interesting to know like what was happening around them at the exact same time, like what was happening to them in music. And like, it's interesting, like that Twin Peaks thing. Now that I know it, it makes so much sense. Like just for like, 
the the concept of the game and like the art style that they went with and like how like like you said like how everyone on the island feels like they're kind of lying to you or like they're giving you a drink that may have poison in it like yeah. it's just like you don't know who to trust and like it's so it's so cool getting the context for that and like yeah it, I completely agree with what Connor like the thing that you're that you're making is influencing what you're watching is influencing what you're making no matter what art form that you're creating stuff in yeah um uh, anyway uh so back to this sort of after school club eventually um things started to look promising with the development of this just like concept that they had so tezuka had the opportunity and pitched a game boy zelda title to um to Miyamoto and other people at Nintendo, and it was approved. And initially, um, this thing started out just as like, you know, it sounds like Nintendo. They're just like, let's port our old game to this system. Mm-hmm. They're going to do a Link to the Past port. But eventually it just, and thankfully I'll say, involved into into an original game. Um, a few There's also a few people who have, aside from uh, Tezuka, other people who worked on the Zelda series uh, throughout um, it's history that are involved here, specifically plot writer for A Link to the Past, Yoshiaki Koizumi, eventually hopped aboard and was responsible for the main story of Link's Awakening, including um, one little anecdote is providing the concept of taking place on an island in a dream. Um, <laughs> hearing about stuff like this and that the idea for the egg on top of the island ending the world when it hatches, which was comes from Kensuke Tanabe, um, is really funny. I don't know how you two feel, but um, as like as writers, sometimes <laughs> like you'll have like a thing that like hits you or some weird idea for something, and you don't know where that thing fits or that image or that idea. But then it so this feels like a couple of those things. Like these two dudes had these weird separate ideas, mm-hmm. but this was like the place where it made sense to put them finally. Yeah, it's 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 the, the the egg pool is such a very weird and very wild swing that you're like, I mean, it, it, it in a weird like in the part of like your lizard brain, you're like, all oh, right, as like a like someone like I think Nick brought up like the hero's journey, and like you know it, it does make sense from like a fairy tale perspective. We're like, yeah, I can see there's like a creation myth where like an egg is born and like it restarts the world. All right, I can like make the one to one to that, and like finding the fact that they were able to fit it into this game and make it make sense within that lore. I think I I mean I give them all the applause for that, but like it like the math checks out in like a very weird specific way where you're like oh yeah it does make sense like i could i understand the creation myth of that where like if when the egg hatches the world ends and like it's reborn anew like that's such a that's such a weird that comes from such a weird creative place that uh uh i I, i'm very envious of like where that pot like how that got into that dude's head (laughs) yeah such a such a cool idea um i think it uh, also adheres to like dream logic to some extent mm-hmm. where it doesn't really make sense if you yeah. think about it but at the same time it does because it is all a dream yeah mm-hmm. uh, one thing i want to know for you guys is did you guys know that you were in a dream for the majority of the game like did is that a thing that like you knew as a kid because as a kid i don't think i would have understood but as an adult i was like oh yeah this seems to make sense that i'm in a dream also like you know it is 
pretty obvious i think throughout i think there's a couple npcs who kind of mention like oh no i hope the the fish doesn't wake up otherwise <laughs> you know we'll, we'll be gone in an instant and and like the fact that the game is called Link's awakening like <laughs> you, i've never yeah. really thought about it until after i rolled credits on the game and i was like <laughs> Link's awakening oh my god <laughs> like yeah. wow it really hits you over the head and then even more so in japanese it's a uh, legend of zelda the dreaming island so oh like, yeah it really does. It is heavy-handed, but it's still. I don't know. There's still that impact when you learn that you're in a dream and that the island will go away when it wakes up. There's something like so profoundly sad about mm-hmm, it. Yes. Like it's a you know it's it's a beautiful dream that you wake up. It out of all the Zelda games, it really feels like the one where Link is the happiest at the end of the game, <laughs> and then it's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. He, he meets a girlfriend or whatever, mm. and he's very happy living on Colin and whatnot, and then it's just mm. all gone like that. Yeah, as a kid, I didn't. It didn't. I didn't think. It, I didn't know it was a dream until the end. I was like, "Oh my!" That was like my first. It was all a dream. And it blew my mind. But yeah. like replaying through the uh, the the remake, and maybe it's just because I'm older. But like, I think the aesthetics lean more into like dreamlike. I think that's why that mm-hmm. the toyification works yeah. a little bit more. Is that it feels very surreal and dreamlike, and like I'm with you. I can't remember. But if like you have like the soft focus around the edges of the yeah. screen that makes it feel very dreamlike and like um so like i think it's telegraphed a little bit more and i think that's i think that's you know replaying it through that like i do appreciate that we're at the place now where technology well, the art style can match the conceit and the concept concept of of the, the the story which i think is a pretty pretty cool addition to the to the remake definitely um it's like not something that I would have known that I needed because I feel like looking at the Game Boy version, it just pretty much looks like a, what you would expect a, a mm-hmm. Game Boy Zelda to look like. They're not, at least, you know, from what I can remember, they don't really play with any of that like they, clearly that's the entire basis for the art style in the remake. And that is one thing that I, you know, I think it's up to interpret, like, you know, personal preference. But for me, I think it works really well. That might mm-hmm. actually be the thing that, just the art style in general, not necessarily how the world moves around and the some of the differences in the game. But I think the art style may, might be my favorite thing about the new one um, mm-hmm. for me. Uh, and I mean, the music's great too. Um, anyway, uh, so um, back to uh, the sort, sort of finish off the development here. Um, thank you, Nick, for touching on the Twin Peaks stuff. I really appreciate that. The music was not composed by series regular Koji Kondo, um, but two composers named Minako Hamano and Koze Ishikawa um, were the composers, uh, two women, uh, and then this was each of their first video game project oh, cool. as composers, which is nuts, because like you were talking, one of you was talking about the overworld music, and mm-hmm. you know we're used to the Zelda overworld theme, and this mm-hmm. is like obviously a variation on that, but this one... This might be my favorite overworld theme in the entire series. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it so many. I mean, because I heard it for so many hours as a kid. But like anytime I hear it, I think of like the waves crashing on the beach and me like running around and like jumping over potholes and like blocking like, you know, octopus balls of octopus. And like I'm instantly transformed back to being like a six and seven year old kid, like exploring, exploring the island. Oh, I love it. Um uh, and then lastly, uh, Kazumi Todoka assisted with composition as well a little bit, but was mostly the person programming the sound effects. Um, 
As far as the release and reception goes, uh, I'll try to speed through this part because it's um, it's kind of I just sort of copied and pasted some stuff in here, but not sure if either of you two know, but sort of what this article describes in support of the North American release of Link's Awakening, Nintendo had an event, uh, a cross-country train competition called the Zelda <laughs> Whistle Stop Tour. Did either of you know about this thing? No. no. Yes. Yeah, so they had this tour where like so this train went across the country for three days and the people who rode these players who rode on the train it was like a competition or a i guess a race to see who could finish link's awakening first um and apparent according to this article also it was meant not to only showcase the game but to, to also show the game boy's superior <laughs> battery life and portability compared to the other handhelds out there um and uh and then, um, of course, the, it was critically acclaimed upon release. It sold very well. We've sort of touched on the Game Boy DX version that came out in 1998, which, of course, included the full color, mm-hmm. like Zig was talking about. But it also included an additional color dungeon, which at the end allows you to uh, to select either a... I think it's a red tunic or a blue tunic. The red tunic adds double power to your attack and the blue tunic halves the damage you take. Do you two Mm. lean any one way when you play this game? Because I think I know what I do every time. I'm an attack boy. I always give me me more power. I'm going to be a glass cannon. He attack. Weapon upgrade every time. Oh, really? I'm a little weenie and I'm like, give me that extra (laughs) uh, shield, baby. Because I know always, I'm taking damage. It's always a heart-wrenching decision, though, because my favorite color is blue, and I don't mm-hmm. really like red very much, but it's yeah. just like one of those things I'd be grudging, like, all right, I'll do it for, <laughs> I'll do it for, I'll do it for the power. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I wonder what it says about me that I choose the, like, is that insecurity? Who knows? We don't need to dive into it today. Um, uh, the DX version also um, uh, uh used a uh, or like was used in conjunction with the game boy printer um the little camera guy that shows up throughout the game takes uh pictures of you based <laughs> on the context and where you are there's also a few of these that i believe you can miss um that's something that i truly you know even though there's no switch printer functionality like mm. i feel like they missed out on including something like that for like some fun it'd be like a blip on the social media radar but that there could have been is fun. there is a switch printer now oh they, yes they released there is. it in conjunction with pokemon snap 2 or a uh, new pokemon oh, really, snap. really there's a there's a switch printer i did not know that well it's like uh it's like in conjunction with the polaroid uh instax the, yes. the fuji mm. film or whatever it is but yeah there's a, an add-on which i honestly like I, we talked about it a little bit when we played through the game with Alec, but I was mm-hmm. so taken aback that there was a monkey that, or uh, it was like a monkey that takes photos, right? I don't know mm-hmm. who, who I think. Or, it, no, it's like a little rat or something that takes photos. Yes. Uh, but, but we were talking about that, and I love that way more than what the remake introduced, which was Dompe's Dungeon Maker. Oh, yeah. Which I think mm-hmm. ultimately isn't very good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, we kind of discovered that there was like, 
a legacy of this era of Nintendo where, uh, you know, random character shows up to take your photo. I just recently replayed, or I'm sorry, played for the first time Earthbound. And throughout Ooh. that game, there are moments where a, a guy flies in from the sky to take your party's <laughs> photo and then disappears for no real reason. And then at the end of the game, you get to relive your entire adventure through all these snapshots, which is like a beautiful moment That's in cool. the credits. And so like the fact that this had that, I think I would have much preferred preferred over uh over what we got with dompe's dungeon builder just because you know social media and like everyone wants to share their screenshots now it just feels like a no-brainer there's a uh so i shared a picture that uh so there's a the writer there's a writer for rick and morty called heather n campbell who has has an insane tech setup but she has a game boy camera hooked up to her actual like uh webcam so she can take pictures with the actual Game Boy camera, Incredible. and she took pictures of all the the writers in the room, and like I'm like this. If I had this, like it's crazy that this isn't a technology that like is just available to everyone. Like because like 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 Nick is saying, like this would kill on like social media. Like just being able to take like Game Boy printer pictures now, it, it, it's it's just like just right there waiting for us. Truly, uh, I saw when she was when I think when she started doing that and tweeted that out, and I thought it was I was so proud. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, uh yeah that and the the Dompe's graveyard thing on this last playthrough that I did of the remake I tried to get into it a little bit and after like one dungeon that I built I was like this isn't even <laughs> there's just like, like nothing I didn't a, feel like there was any reason it, for me to do it it's an interesting idea yes. I just think the execution's a bit flawed because it's like why would you give me the ability to make a dungeon but then also hide all of the pieces to make an interesting dungeon all around mm-hmm. the world and also like just the kind of logic behind how the dungeon builder works is a little bit flawed, which is a shame because I think uh, Mario Maker is incredible. I think it's yes. an incredible tool, and mm-hmm. I would love that for Zelda. But the fact that the Dungeon Maker in Link's Awakening doesn't work the way it should yes. makes me think like maybe maybe there maybe there's no room for a Zelda Maker in the mm-hmm. way there is a Mario Maker. I yeah, it's it's weird because the the Dungeon Maker it's different in the sense that like you are just picking pre made you know, essentially tiles to form this dungeon on a map. Whereas Mario maker, you're manipulating, you know, theoretically every element uh, from, from scratch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, but cause I think Nick, I agree with you. It's a great idea. And if they actually did it, the Mario maker style, that would be <laughs> awesome. Uh, I do, I do wonder how much of it is also like a skill based thing, because I think the appeal of Mario maker is that there is an inherent, like, are you a good Mario player? Yes. If you are, you will get a lot of enjoyment out of difficult levels. But in Zelda, it's not exactly like a Twitch-based game where you need to yeah. have ultimate reflexes or anything like that. So I feel like there is an inherently flawed, like, you know, Zelda isn't really that kind of game. So right. I, I, maybe that it loses the appeal that Mario Maker has. I don't know. No, I think there's definitely something to that. I feel like... I mean, Zelda games are sort of just like a part of my muscle memory now to where there are certain puzzles where you know when you're about to actually do a puzzle that is going to take quick reflexes and your full attention because most of the time you're just like sort of, well, maybe this isn't a fair way to describe it. I can leisurely go through a dungeon, but Mm -hmm. when it's like those moments of focus, you know when they're there. So I think you're Uh, right. Like the same thing, like I always, those moments are always for me saved for the boss fight. Like, Like there's never like a ticking clock to get through. A, yes. uh, a dungeon you know definitely um that's a really that's a 
the perfect uh, example of when you're doing that in these games. Um, to wrap up the release and reception, um, uh, the the remake was also uh, received pretty high praise, but we've talked about some of the criticism already. I, I touched on the, the sluggish frame rate at times. Um, I know that there were people who were not happy with the f- uh, $60 price tag on the game, considering mm-hmm. it was, you know, technically a game that's been out for however many years. I was fine with it because it's a full remake of a game I'd never experienced. So I personally couldn't mm-hmm. care less and I adored it. Um, and then uh, I want to say, oh, there's, you know, what's something that this is like my one thing I actually don't like about it. And it's the way that Link moves in the remake. So I love that in the Game Boy version, he sort of, you know, he sort of like slides around the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird. He doesn't seem, he might be moving in, you know, an eight directional points or whatever it is, nine, however many that is. Um, but to me, it always felt like he had this nice, like slippery movement that I got so used to using him. So when I would play the, I got used to the remake version, the mm-hmm. way he moves, but it's very yeah, yeah. like much like you're on a, like, uh, just eight points of where you he can turns. see the pixels as he, like you can see the, the, the directional pixels that he can move on. Bingo. So yeah, yeah. I go for it. I think it kind of has to do with like the Game Boy was restricted to like grid based movement almost yes. where Link moved one tile at a time. And I think that there is something that feels good about that kind of movement. And I think mm-hmm. that the removal of, you know, because it's it's a screen based in, in yes. the original Game Boy one where, you know, if I'm getting chased by an enemy, I could walk to a different screen and then I'm safe from that enemy. Yes. But I think the the remake kind of I also agree. I don't really like the way that they kind of remove that boundary in the remake where mm-hmm. it is just one consistent like overworld where I'm just walking from one area to the other and there is no screen-based travel. Uh, because, you know, if you want to dig up every single tile that's on the floor, it's kind of hard to do that in the remake. Dude, be- Because of absolutely. how everything resets and whatnot. Because that's um, a way to know if you clear a screen and you're like, okay, at least in this moment, I'm not going to dig up this plot ev- like mm-hmm. multiple times. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, it's funny. The remake moves a lot. The screen moves a lot. Very similar to Link to the Past where sometimes it slides with you and other times you do cross over into a new spot. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if it would have worked for the remake to have it be tile-based like the previous, but I, I definitely prefer that part of the, of the Game Boy version for sure. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all I had to say for the release and reception. Why don't we, um, uh, finally get into the book club portion of the episode. Here's something that I, um, have seen discussed about this game that I think is really interesting, uh, as you know, being the fourth Zelda game now so early on in the series, um, but at the time it was like, wow, number four, um, is the norms that this game actually mm-hmm. establishes for for being, as we've discussed, a game that breaks from a lot of the series uh, traits, like not being in Hyrule, no Zelda. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, sort of like a, it, it's it, this isn't really even happening. Um there's a handful of the Zelda norms that I thought that were established in this game that are really interesting. Like even one thing like the, uh, the, the owl 
coming, I almost said the cloud, the owl <laughs> coming to talk to you and, and giving you exposition. Um, I love the owl in this game. I do not like Kapora Gabora in the N64 <laughs> games. I always get so annoyed with him. Um, it's very creepy too in yes. those games. But yeah, Definitely. he interrupts you way too much. I, I also, you know, it kind of hit me over the head, but why an owl? Well, I mean, it's a dream. Aren't, aren't mm-hmm. owls like associated with nighttime sleeping? So I think that's a, a cute touch. Definitely. Um, also, mm-hmm. owls are wise or like yeah. they've been portrayed historically as wise creatures like in fairy tales and whatnot. So that all makes sense. And I really do like that. Uh, another another thing that I think the series, uh, like a series norm that this established was that trading side quest. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. The only thing that I don't like is that it's kind of mandatory in yes. this game. Yeah. Uh, but I do like that this is like, hey, you know, you meet like the game is full of such interesting characters. So what better way to kind of meet everyone than through a series of quests where you deliver one item to another person. And I think that's a, a charming way of getting to meet the citizens mm-hmm. of a given area. And I really, really like that because it forces you to pay attention to text. Yes. Um, I think that yes, there's it a does. tendency for people to <laughs> skip through stuff. So I really like that it forces you to engage with the game on like a in-world level, which is fun. Yeah, I, I, I just this is just the, the one of the mini games. Like I distinctly remember being so frustrated at the fishing mini game because I could yes. never, <laughs> I could never catch or uh, I, I could never figure out how to catch the fish as a kid. I figured out later when I like when I when I refound the game. But like, I'm like this thing that that was a, like this. I don't know if that was a th- was that was that in previous Zelda games because that was like my first one. But I remember no, playing. This is the first fishing. <clears throat> yeah, it was, so it was, it was interesting seeing like I remember playing that and then coming to Ocarina of Time later being like, oh, this is a thing that they do in Zelda games. Like you just, you can just like go fish. That's, that's awesome. I guess like that's, I didn't know that that was like a series staple until, you know, I, I started getting more into the the series. Zig, yeah. you, also, you also reminded me like, I think without realizing all my life, I've been chasing the high of this kind of fishing mini game because <laughs> usually in 3D games, it's very much, you know, you cast a, the, the the lure into a pond and then you wait mm. for the lure to sink and then you just mash a button usually. Yeah. But the arcadiness of this like, per, um, like you know, 2D perspective mm-hmm. of fishing is so good and I didn't yeah. realize how good it was until I saw like what the ultimate conclusion of this kind of game is with a uh, there's a mobile game called ridiculous fishing where you <laughs> where you have to drop a lure again similar style as mm. Link's awakening huh. fishing where you drop a lure as deep as it can go but this game zags a little bit when when you bring the lure up you bring whatever fish is immediately above you with it oh. and then you have to shoot all the fish out of the air <laughs> so it's like Link's Awakening laid the groundwork so ridiculous fishing could throw all the fish in the air and shoot them out of the sky. Like it's so important. Like this, this game established such like a, uh, I think a norm for not only Zelda games but other games. Mm-hmm. Like it would go on to inspire so many other things yeah. that we just are like still feeling the effects of. Which I, I just really you reminded me, and I think that's super <laughs> duper important. It's so funny. That was like not even on my radar as one of the things that it established not only for the Zelda series, but fishing games in general. But that's so true. Mm-hmm. It's just another thing they do. Um, another one uh, that I definitely wanted to make time to touch on was, uh, oh, I did want to add that the, um, the trading sequence, I believe it, it's uh, this type of sequence where you trade up from like a little item to 
eventually, you know, the, I think the magnifying glass to read the, the path that's always mm-hmm. randomly generated, um, which really frustrated me the first time I played it. And then I realized <laughs> I just had to take a screenshot of it and I'd be fine. Um, uh, or write it down is, uh, it's called the straw millionaire that that's like the, mm-hmm. so it's like someone goes from having like a piece of straw to being a millionaire. Uh, I guess oh. that's what that's referred to. Yeah. There's probably um, like a fairy tale or something <laughs> associated with that. I think there, I think there is, I think it's, it's I, like a Japanese fairy tale or like a, uh, what would you call it? A, not a parable, but who knows? Um, but <laughs> another thing that I wanted to touch on that the, uh, that is, this establishes for the Zelda series is the, um, uh, moment where in order to access the next dungeon, you have to do a pre-dungeon quest, sort of mm. like a little puzzle or mm. something that mm. will eventually grant you access there. Um, I'm trying to think of my favorite ones in in this in this game, uh, but that's something that I know that like is part of the fun for me when I'm going through a Zelda game is like, oh, who am I going to have to meet? What am I going to have to pull off to, you know, toss the fish in front of Jabu Jabu <laughs> to get in or, or you know, beat the Gerudo training grounds to get the deed to get access to the desert. Um, yeah, it was, that reminds that me of the, the dungeons. Like, uh, I think another thing that I remember, I distinctly remember being blown away as a kid was the setup of expectations and then subverting them. Like, usually you see a pit, you don't want to fall into it. But there are certain, there's, I think there's like one or two dungeons where like, if you fell into a pit, you could come into a different level and get like some rubies or some type of special weapon. I remember like accidentally falling down that as a kid and being like, wait, what? Like, you yes. can, this can like lead to secret things. This is, this is such a smart idea. This is so great. Yeah, specifically, I know the Eagles Tower plays with the multiple floors. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there might be three floors at the end of the day in that one, but that is something that I didn't expect either. And you have to, you know, know where you are in proximity to the floor you're trying to fall to. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very interesting. Um, This isn't something that this game, you know, establishes as a norm for the series, but it you can you can't talk about this game without talking about the brief side scrolling sections uh which are fun i know that i feel like i always hear this discussed as like oh my gosh like uh this is uh it's they're pulling this from like it's like the mario series which you do see goombas and piranha yeah. plants mm-hmm. down here so there absolutely is a connection there but they were doing this as early as uh zelda 1 you yeah. know mm-hmm. it's a little I would say a little less involved. You're not jumping around. You don't have the rock's feather, but you do. It's mostly just like a path to a different part of the dungeon in Zelda 1. But here I do like the implementation. Yeah, I think it really shines with rock's feather. I think that's what like the original game was kind of missing is that kind of jump mechanic that makes Mm -hmm. Mario work. So the fact that that's there, I think, you know, that's the reason why we have Zelda in Mario Maker. <laughs> I'm sorry, not Zelda. Uh, someone, someone's gonna execute me for that. Uh, it finally Link, happened. You have Link yeah. in uh, in Mario Maker because it really does just work. So what happens if you give Mario a, an area attack like yeah. Link's sword or whatever? Um, and then you know, I want to touch on that. The game doesn't do it often, but I think we've talked about it enough that it's like noteworthy is that switch in perspective obviously the entire game is 2d but 
the fact that we brought up the 2D, like side-scrolling fishing, the side-scrolling mm-hmm. platforming. And I think my favorite boss in the game is the Eagle's Tower boss oh, yeah. because of mm-hmm. how it shifts the perspective where you are now in a side-scroller light game that is very akin to Link's, I'm sorry, the adventure of Link Zelda 2. Yes. And so like, I like that there's like a, a change in gameplay to some extent. I'm a, I'm a sucker for when a game's like, what if we made the game different for a little bit? And I, I, I think it really succeeds in doing that. And I think it really showcases, you know, going from a Super Nintendo with a bunch of buttons on the controller to a Game Boy with just, you know, one, two, three, five altogether. Like, that's kind of wild that they were able to fit so much and, like, adapt the gameplay to uh, very little controls. Yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, that's something that was a huge part of this game is that you have your, like Nick said, you're getting your many buttons pared down to just a few. And so, um, unlike a pitch that they actually, that Tezuka wanted to do for a link to the past was be able to swap out, uh, some other item for your sword. But Miyamoto's like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> the, he's got to have his sword, which sort of ties into, you know, Nick's Nick and our speculation that like if Miyamoto would have been around for more of this, I don't know if <laughs> yeah. it would have gone this way. Um but is just the two button system in this game, mm-hmm. which at first playing it when I before when I didn't beat it, I got, you know, three dungeons in or however far, uh was I felt inhibited and frustrated by it. <laughs> and I liked the changes in the remake when I played it through. But actually this last time, I know this is not like a universal belief but like i actually really liked it and i liked like the uh not just you know how resourceful it feels like you have to be and how you have sort of like your go-to at least i feel like i had go-to item sets um depending on what situation i was in i don't know how you two felt about that always rocks feather I'm sorry, no matter what happens, always rocks feather. I just need to jump around while I'm moving the entire time. Yeah, I think what makes it, what makes rocks feather stick out so much is that like you spend, you feel like you're glued to the ground for the entire game until you finally get that. And you like just having that little bit of mobility makes, just opens up the game so much more immediately. I'm complete rocks feather boy, rock rock (laughs) feather squad, let's go. Yes, uh, it truly (laughs) is like one of those things that, um, in very, very, very rare occasions, like I think specifically when you need to use like the Pegasus boots and right. like your sword, mm-hmm. um, maybe then I would take the rock's feather off. But yeah, it's just like the standard. Did you two? I noticed that for me, and this might just be how I play games. I always like to have like my, I think it's because of how Zelda games are normally built. I like to put like my attack item on B and then the other yeah. item on A. So rock's feather A. But, and if mm-hmm. I ever switch them up, I, always screw up yeah i'm devastated yeah 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 yeah. that's great um this game i didn't do much of this um and it's not required you know in some areas but you can combine your two items that you swap out on a and b um to have special things occur like we were talking about the pegasus boots and rocks feather there's certain gaps that you can only cross if you use those in conjunction were either mm-hmm. of you two like the bomb and arrow person. Cause I never did that. No, I never did it. Either. Nah, I was, yeah, that was, that was, that seemed too complicated to my six year old mind when I yeah. was, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have the dexterity, but I did like, I am, um, I like mobility. 
I always like, I always like seeing fast characters. So like if I didn't have rocks feathered, I would always have the Pegasus boots too. And like, that was like my, I would try to speed run <laughs> the game yes. as a kid. I love that. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're talking about the, uh, the two item implementation. Um, there is an optional item, which I've not gotten, which is the, uh, boomerang. Mm-hmm. I, here's something I just thought about the other day. Um, I don't know if this was intentional and I think there's a few things in this game that's like maybe me just like drawing my own conclusions, but the boomerang for the most part, especially in the early games is like the first attack item you get aside from your sword. It's like Hmm. in Zelda one, it's your first, I think Hmm. in uh, a link to the past, you get the lantern, but then you get the boomerang. Um, I think after you beat the first, like, little boss who is guarding Zelda. But it's interesting to me that like, oh, in this dream game where Link is away from Hyrule, it might just be a small thing, but I thought it was kind of cool that you A, don't need the boomerang, and B, if you want it, it's like the last thing you might get. Yeah. yeah. It's also very strong too. Yes. I've heard it, that. I heard you can like take out the final boss in like one hit or something. Yeah, so it's super yeah. interesting because usually it's like you can only stun enemies with it, but this one it's like an actual viable attack weapon. Yeah, so it's um so interesting. Uh, as we're sort of you know it's great. This has been a nice free flow, getting us to talk about like the different subjects I wanted mm-hmm. to touch on. Since we've been talking about um, the control scheme and the combat a little bit, um, something that really impressed me about this game, which. I didn't think could happen after playing a link to the past, which I think dungeons are incredible. (laughs) I think the dungeon this dungeons in this game and the design is up there for me as like some of the best in the series. I don't know how you two feel. 100%. Like I love, I mean, even like the preambles to get to the dungeon, like the one where it's in like the marsh and you have to like, they have to like, you know, go through and like not get hit by the, the vines and stuff. Even that, as, I remember as a kid being like, oh, this is like, this is like, just, this isn't inside the dungeon. It's already the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, I can only imagine how dope it's going to be when I get inside this thing. I think yes. they're better than Link to the Past yeah. dungeons. <laughs> just because uh, I think that there's a lot of Link to the Past dungeons that are just like, they're all pretty simple, but they're kind of frustrating to navigate, especially some of the end, like later game dungeons, oh, like the yeah. ice one. They're just kind of frustrating and a little bit annoying. And I think that there's something about Link's Awakening's mobile design because you know it's if it's a mobile game, it's kind of designed to be enjoyed in bites and chunks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So like it feels so streamlined and it feels like just enough. Like oh, I got to think about this puzzle a little bit, but it's never overly difficult. It's just it goes down real smooth. And I <laughs> yes. think. And I think that's like that's fun i don't think like slamming your head against a brick wall trying to figure out a difficult puzzle is fun in in a lot of zelda games and this is just the right amount of challenge and you know logic and it just it just works definitely i even think that you know i was really impressed with the variety of dungeons in a link to the past but i will say nick i completely agree with you there are moments in that game And don't get me wrong, I don't mind like having to challenge myself and really think about something. But there are moments where it feels like, oh, that was that could have been a lot easier or they (laughs) they could have they didn't need to make that so obscure. And I think this game uh, sort of like with the story, it also it's a slight evolution of that where I think it feels like every dungeon for the most part has 
you know, it's easy to say this, but like a clear premise. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but I also think that I felt, I felt way more satisfied finishing or like f- solving these dungeons or getting through the puzzle that I was confused about than in A Link mm-hmm. to the Past. There were times in that game, uh, A Link to the Past, where I was like, oh, I was... I knew what to do, but like the game, you just have to do it a different way. And it's sort of like, there's, there's basically, there's like a switch in that game. And I think turtle rock, I've talked about this on the show. Cause it was <laughs> so annoying it, where like, you can't, you have just gotten like the cane of Samaria where you can make the blocks. Mm-hmm. You can just like toss them down. So you go come to this switch that obviously is opening a door, but you can't see it cause it's pitch black. <laughs> you can't see where the door is. So you're, the thought, I think the logical step there is like, Oh yeah, you'll use the cane, make a block, and pin it on the switch so that I so that you can get to it. Mm-hmm. But no, turns out it's one of those switches that you just got to step on once. <laughs> but you don't know that because you can't see the door. But you also don't want to step on it because it's gonna waste like three seconds of your time because then the animation plays of the door opening up and then you're gonna step off and it's gonna close again. You're like, I'm just gonna waste my time. So yeah, I 100% agree with you. Yes. Um. And yeah. And I just think that even though I be, I th- I do believe that the uh, challenges, like how to break the pillars in the Eagle's Tower, mm-hmm. or how to make your way around Turtle Rock in Link's Awakening, while they are still very challenging, they they're just that solution point was so satisfying to me. And I know you two have been messing around with it too. Any any favorite dungeons from this game for either of you? Wait. Oh, yeah. I think just the Eagle's Tower. Uh, Mm, I just love the way that entire map is situated, and I love the the final payoff of fighting that bird on on the top of the on the top of the Eagle Tower. Like I think that's just fun. I think it looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, I I re um, I haven't played the the handheld version, but uh, I I watched the. I wanted to see what that fight looked like on the Game Boy, and it's gorgeous the sprite work on the bird on that entire arena is just so cool and i I just really really like it it's a less frustrating version of the worst boss in link to the past the the moldorm yeah moldorm the one that'll knock you off and it's like oh this is way less frustrating because if i fall i only fall one floor below i don't have to climb up three different levels and start over it's nice yeah, it's yeah. great, and uh, like I, I haven't gotten to it because uh, I haven't gotten that far in the, the remake. But like I've seen like clips of the Eagles, the Eagle f- boss fight, and that yes. and it looks so beautiful. Like mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, I'm I'm super stoked to to finally get to it because I think it's in 2D as well. Yeah, it is. It's and yeah. it's great. There's also another the other 2D boss I don't think was that great, which is there's a the fish in like the water dungeon. You, oh yeah, you mm-hmm. like drop down and you swim. Right. That one I thought was just, you know, I think oh it's anglers. No, maybe it's catfish's maw. That's got to be it. I'm looking at like a little sheet of all the dungeons. Um, yeah, I was just uh so impressed by these one two. Uh, excuse me, one. <laughs> I was just saying numbers here. One that also <laughs> I thought was really cool. I was just so impressed at how I felt like the last like three or four were really putting all of your skills to the test. Like there's this one called um, the face shrine, uh, which is really fantastic. And the reason I want to bring that one up is because that's got one of the funny bosses. Cause all the bosses are also telling you that like, Hey, if you wake, if you defeat us, if you wake us up, mm-hmm. you're going to, this Island is going away. 
mm-hmm. as are your friends. So the face talks to you, the skeleton guy talks to you. Um, it, it is interesting to keep hearing from this game, like being told what you are doing and the implications of that. Yeah, it kind of, you know, you guys were talking about Shadow of the Colossus earlier, which is, I think, yeah. a similar like style where the game is constantly telling you or making you feel like, maybe I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> and this is, this is something very similar to that, where it's like, I kind of feel bad. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's melancholy. You know, you th- it feels like you're doing the right thing because you're, I mean, you're doing what the game is asking you to, yeah. but like... At what cost? It's a, it's the, like the meme version would be like this is like you know that Domino meme like this is like you yes. know Link's Awakening in the in the last in the last Domino is like the Last of Us two <laughs> like that's yes. you know, where it leads to. Truly, looking at the boss designs, I was remind I was just looking at all the bosses on my computer trying to like oh I, there was one that stood out to me and it's the clown the or the genie whatever yes the it's the only enemy slash thing in the game that I feel like it was pulled from a different game and dropped in a Zelda game because it doesn't look (laughs) like a Zelda creature or an Mm -hmm. enemy. It looks like a different... I don't know what it is about it, but this thing doesn't look like it belongs in a Zelda game, and it kind of creeps me out for that same reason. It it feels like a weird... It feels feels almost like a Mega Man villain. Like, if he just had, like, little robot legs, he would be like a Mega Man villain. A hundred percent. I I remember being completely freaked out by the angler fish (laughs) as a kid. Like I remember it scaring the hell out of me. It's big. Um, And these dungeons, um, the the bosses are for the most part, very fun. Uh, I will say I felt like they were pretty easy for the most part. Um, On the Game Boy version, I died once and it was actually to the color dungeon boss, uh, (laughs) which you you just have to like hit a million times, but I just couldn't figure it out for a while. Um, But the remake version, because I was playing them like at the same time, I noticed they made a couple um, adjustments to the bosses that I actually thought were really good. Uh, Like they would make them change up their patterns slightly because I think a lot of the times their patterns don't really change in the Game Boy version. Um, so I, I really, really like that. Um, uh, so yeah, that's I'm sort of gotten to share like a lot of what I had. Are is there uh, any other subjects you two wanted to uh, hit on during this uh, book club portion? Uh, I, I mean, this isn't necessarily hitting on anything, but like I just can't now. I'm super jazzed to finish uh, the remake. Like uh, I've been because I was also pulling up the bosses. And like I, I clicked on like the Link's Awakening Nintendo Switch tab just to see like how much they've updated, and like the facade facade looks so cool. <laughs> facade and yes, um, and Evil Eagle looks so dope. It's before Facade's job on Nickelodeon his face, <laughs> yeah. right in our era. <laughs> yeah, guarding the aggro, Craig. Yes, um, I think I talked about it a little on the when we were just talking over you playing the game with Alec, yeah. but. Uh, I really love the moment where you have all of the instruments and you play the song of the windfish because you know as someone who just played uh, Earthbound in that game you collect yes. pieces of a song and you hear just the small piece of the song as you collect it and then at the end of the game you hear all of the pieces combined and that's like a beautiful melody mm-hmm. and I think this is something similar where you're collecting 
pieces of music and then you hear it all play out together it's just something super satisfying about that and i i love that that's like this weird little through line in certain um you know games of that era i think it's just very good video gamification of music (laughs) absolutely it's funny now we've brought you've brought that game up a few times and i thought about the same thing there are some similar some striking similarities between this game and earthbound i mean that game's not taking place in a dream, but you're talking. We're talking about the camera guy who shows up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I would even uh, s- say that, like the writing and like the, the characters, one hundred percent. They're all unusual, yes. strange. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then, yeah, like you're saying, the the gathering of the tunes as well <laughs> as like your way to, you know, enter or defeat the final boss is. I mean, those are the. It's a very, very, very similar. Um, Earthbound, also one of my all-time favorite games. Also, I, both weirdly dark games. Yes, I, oh I need my to track gosh. that game down. I've been wanting to play it since I was a kid. I just need to, I need oh, to like, just, find it. Just emulate it. Yeah. Just emulate yeah. it. It's too <laughs> yeah, expensive. Or, or play it on never going to release it. I might as well, oh, it's on the Switch. I, uh, wait, it, is it? It's not. It, it's not. Nintendo oh, right. will release Baseball Simulator, whatever, but like <laughs> will not release Earthbound, and it's driving. I don't, not me, but people, crazy. Uh, yeah, just play it. Just play it on. Just, I'm just play it on yeah. emulator. I'll find a ROM because, somewhere. Because then you could you can do your uh, save stating, and that it makes that game way more enjoyable. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that game is amazing, but there are some quality of life things that when I played through it, I was like, you can only have I think sixteen items per person. Yeah. It's, oh, a little, it's a little dude. outdated as far as like we've played RPGs now, where it's like oh, way more streamlined. Yeah. yeah um, yeah, the similarities are nuts. Uh, this is just a fun little thing I wanted to share with you two before we, you know, wrap up. Was the uh, Nick? Maybe we even talked about this. Was the inclusion of a character from the the skeleton of this game, like the engine, comes from this uh, game that was only released in Japan. I think the translation is roughly something like uh, "For whom." The frog bell tolls. Do you know what I'm talking about, Nick? With Richard, Alec. Alec is actually. Uh, I I had vaguely heard of this okay. game mentioned in a podcast I really like, but Alec was singing the praise of the, of this song, and I actually watched a let's play of it based on what he was talking about. And I I got like like 15 minutes in, and I stopped, and I was like, I need to stop. I am going to play this game because Ooh. it is it is basically uh you know the same way that I realize i'm a dummy for waiting so long to play link's awakening <laughs> it feels like oh this is just kind of another handheld zelda yes and i need to track it down immediately and play it so yeah i'm definitely gonna play it very very soon so i want to do so the same uh, like very soon if i can uh zig this do you remember um richard the guy who has all the frogs in his house mm-hmm. in this yeah. game so <laughs> yeah another he, very weird character <laughs> very weird he is from this this game that we're talking about, he's the main character and a fun little note about it is like you, it's not necessarily like the same combat as Zelda, but mm-hmm. you get into like, maybe you saw it, Nick, if your character runs into an enemy, a little cloud will appear between them, kind of like a cartoon fight. And then if you're stronger, then you just win. There's no actual battle that's, that's going on. So it's almost, it's RP, it's got an RPG mm-hmm. uh, element in that way, but yeah, I definitely want to get onto that. So, and there are so many references in this game. I mean, of course, all the Mario characters from Wart, 
from Super Mario Brothers 2 mm. to, uh, to um, you know, just like Mr. Right from SimCity. Uh, <laughs> this game is really leans heavy on that. And it's, you know, one of the few games they could ever get away with that in because it's, you know, a dream. And uh, which is funny because Tanabe also, you know, he directed Mario 2 and that game is all a dream. So very mm. interesting. I, I just, I just, I've been replaying through Super Mario Brothers oh, Two. I've seen you, yes. Yeah, and um, speaking like Zelda, like if, I'm trying to think of like if that was like my first introduction into <laughs> Super Mario games. I would be so bewildered when I would go to like Super Mario Three or, or <laughs> the original Super yes. Mario Brothers. It's such a wild departure. Like I can't pick up my enemies. What is this garbage? Yeah, why, yeah. there are no turnips in this. What are we doing here? Yeah, that's why. That's I where on. I draw the lines. You take yeah. out the turnips. Um. Uh. Great. Uh, gosh, there's what else? Was there any last things you two would like to discuss before we um, sort of uh, wrap up? And I make my way because, you know, throughout this conversation, I don't know if you two know, but I have collected the eight instruments. Um, and so I'm because there's a reminder to the listener. We're on Koholint Island right now and I'm Link. So I'm going to head up to the Windfish's Egg soon. But I did want to open it up one last time for you two. If you either wanted to share something else or sort of um, put a cherry on top of your feelings about your experience at the game. Uh, if for some reason you haven't played this game, which I don't know why you would be listening to this if you haven't, but <laughs> I highly recommend um, pulling up the uh, the original overworld theme for this game, listening to it, and then pulling up the Link's Awakening version because that is also an absolute bop. Uh, if for no other reason, just to enjoy those two songs that you'll be listening to for the majority of your playthrough. Absolute S class A plus plus um, overworld theme. Absolutely. What about you, Nick? Anything you wanted to share or wrap up? Uh, I I think that there's like I think when if you're just getting into gaming for the first time and you're like, what are some of the games that like you know are older that I should check out that still hold up? And then there's always like a debate about if old games are worth diving back into. I think that a hundred percent Link's Awakening is a game that is well worth delving into not only because it's good but i think it 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 holds up and does things that i think a lot of modern games are lacking in terms of whimsy and just Mm -hmm. like kind of relishing the fact that they're a video game so yeah i think Mm -hmm. this is just if there were like an undeniable like criterion collection of things that are important of video games i think Link's awakening is not only informative for what came after but it is just still a good game and worth time worth your personal time which mm. i think is the most valuable currency that we have as human beings is your time and mm. it is well worth it you know as they say time is money so i think you're telling the truth here <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh I'll, I'll definitely you know once i get in there and i'm sure i'm going to give the windfish a stir uh, a talking to uh and i'll share sort of wrap up my thoughts there but I did want to just share with you guys, I, th- I feel like this game for my money, you know, I think about all the Zelda games that I've played. I've really loved all of them. Even I loved Skyward Sword at the time as much as like it's infuriating to go back to mm-hmm. for certain reasons. Um, I love all of them. You know, they're like my children. They're all perfect in their own ways. But I do feel, you know, every game's missing something. Every game like has a, like Ocarina, I love, but I feel like that holds your hand too much. Uh, for my personal preference now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a little easy, but then again, it's probably because it's the game I've played the most. Um, I think that uh, Link to the Past I adore, but 
the generic sort of like story that doesn't really get too specific and is sort of generic feeling with like the the knights and the evil power um is you know that's where my criticism part of my criticism for that game lies but this game i really feel like for me does the most well out of any zelda game and you know like a game doing things well isn't a measure of what it means to you but i mm-hmm. think that's part of the reason why I, I was so blown away when i finally finished it and then revisiting it got even more out of it it just i feel like it hits on story the dungeons are incredible the themes the music um even the way it just it's designed from as soon as you pick up the game i think it's fantastic um mm. well you two um you know before i go and head up to this giant egg uh, uh i know that obviously this is the last time i'm going to see you because we both know that as soon as i defeat the windfish you two and this island are going to disappear. Um, so I just want to let you know how much fun it's been to spend time with you on this island and on this podcast. Um, and would love to uh, to have you two plug whatever you'd like uh, before we go. So uh, Zig, why don't we start for you? Uh, what would you like to plug and where do you want people to find you out there? Uh, you know, uh, if you want to find me, find me at Yay for Zig on all the social media platforms. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast today and want to hear me yell about even more nerdy stuff like uh, anime or manga or comic books, please check out the Dark Wee podcast. I host that with my homie Birdie Reed. It's very fun. We just talk with other people of color about stuff that they nerd out about, and it's really fun. Uh, and if you like comic books, uh, check out Miles Morales number 25. I wrote a backup in that, and I have a one-shot that should probably be out by the time this is out called Siege Society number one. Uh, it was my first one shot. It's really fun. If you want to see uh, my take on what a uh, black back man pastiche would be like beating up a Nazi, that's the one to read because he beats up some Nazis. It's very fun. So <laughs> doing the Lord's plugs. work. <laughs> I'm trying. I love that. It's a, a and congrats on all all the recent success. It's been so much fun to Thanks, just man. like keep seeing wave after wave of thing. I'm like, it just keeps coming. This is so well deserved. <laughs> um as much as I'm sure you wish you were just producing podcasts at UCB still. Um, congrats, dude. And, Thanks, and thank you all. Be sure to include stuff in the show notes uh, on that as well. And then Nick Limon, uh, thank you again for coming back. Uh, what would you like to plug? Where do you want people to find you? Hey, just uh, find me everywhere on all socials at, at Advent Nick. Uh, and uh, find my work... Uh, uh, I don't want to, I don't feel like plugging that right now. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly uh, where you're going with that. <laughs> I'll say I also do a, um, a similar book club, uh, podcast with my old roommate, uh, Joey Thimian. Uh, it's called garbage game club where we assign a piece of homework and then we just basically <laughs> talk about a game at length. Uh, we just finished a playthrough of It Takes Two and a game called We Were Here. Wow. We do a deep dive convo about you know what makes a co-op game important, what makes a co-op game mm. good. And then uh, our next game is a, a game about being a uh, farmer who disposes of a body for a hitman called Adios. The game is about an hour long. Highly recommend it. And we do a deep dive podcast coming up, uh, I think, next week on that one. So we've got plenty of games. If you ever feel like, what do I, w- I want to play a game and talk to someone or hear someone talk about it, check it out on all of your podcast mm-hmm. feeds. It's a ton of fun. One of my favorite things you do. Hell and yeah. you can back us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash cybergarbage. Hell yeah. Are you still doing, I mean, I feel like since you don't live with each other, maybe it's different. Are you still doing your weekly live show? We, we do it about once every two weeks now. Cool. 
It's been fun to tune in for a couple of those, uh, <laughs> like right before, I think I, I caught the one like truly right before you were moving out and it was really fun. <laughs> um, well, you too. Uh, I hate to, you know, basically destroy your lives and make you not exist anymore, but I'm going to head up, uh, to see the windfish. Uh, so thanks for being here and, uh, and good luck as I go up this mountain. I'm finally inside of that giant egg on uh, in Kohoholint Island. It's really it's really spacious in here. Kind of like honestly bigger than you would think from the outside. And oh my gosh! Yep, sure enough, here's the windfish. Hey, windfish! Oh, hello, it's me, the windfish. Wow. Uh, and you know. I'm just going to guess your name is, you have a first name, it's probably Alec, right? It's Alec, yep, correct. That's, uh, my my name is Alec, uh, it's not stated in the game, <laughs> but, you know, it's canon for sure, and I just want to point out, you added a few extra syllables to Koholand Island. Uh, oh I, no. It's okay, no, it's okay, people do that, it's always the out-of-towners, but, oh man, oh, well, don't you do know it what? again. I'm proud of you for, you know... Being assertive and letting me know that and not letting it slip by and, you know, then the months down the road when we're having beers, I'm going to say the same thing. Thank you so much. I won't let you get away with it. I will I will end your life. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, um, on that note, uh, Mr. Windfish, it's so nice to meet you. I've heard so much about you. I've also heard that, you know, unfortunately, after I uh, defeat you and do the plugs today for this podcast, you are... You, defeat me what what, what? Oh, no uh, it's a long well i'm not defeating you i guess i'm defeating your the nightmares um but this whole island's gonna just disappear and you're gonna fly off with some seagulls you've been talking to that damn owl again that <laughs> owl finds me at at the times i most expect it to, to be honest <coughs> with you yeah oh sorry uh got something in my throat i'm back to this is my normal voice oh Hello. okay yeah i was gonna say sound a little different than i remember um yeah 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 Mm-hmm. Well, you know, just for the sake of uh, normalcy, uh, I'll go ahead and welcome the windfish Alec Robbins to the show. Welcome, Alec. Hello. Happy to be here. Um, I'm so glad that you could be here for this second half of this uh, Link's Awakening Zelda Games Club episode um, because this is one of your favorite games. Yes. And uh, we've gotten to talk about it a little bit. Um, but uh, uh, what I want to start by doing Alec, uh, is just hearing about your personal history with the game. I know we've talked a little bit about it on stream, but like, how did you get this game and walk me through your history? Let's crystallize this story. Let's Ooh. do it on a podcast. That stream yes. was transient. Anybody could have just missed it. But no, I, <laughs> I honestly think Link's Awakening is one of my earliest video game memories, which feels crazy to say. Wow. Because I must have... I must have had a Super Nintendo before I played this, so that like can't be true. But it was definitely like the most formative early video game experience. Where wow, I remember uh, being out to dinner with like a fam, like another family friend, like with just just my other buddy. Like I was like yeah. a, little, a little kid, and he had his game. We both we both had our Game Boys at dinner. That's like what you would do. We would <sighs> we were obsessed. We would play them while we we're waiting for the food to come, and then our parents would have to go, put your Game Boys away. It's time to eat. Those were. Th- the yeah. days. I know we talk about a lot of days, but those were the days. Those were the days. I wonder if kids do that with switches now. I bet they do. 
I bet they do, which yeah. seems like a huge th- thing to... It's way bigger than a Game Boy was. Yeah, Game Boy's, like, almost discreet. Mm-hmm. Almost. Um, I mean, oh, you know, you know what, though? Like, they just have phones. They do it with their phone games. Of course they do it, yeah. Oh, that's true. Uh, See, so you're, that, that you're at... So... Do you remember what restaurant you're at because i feel like you have a pretty good memory but that may be a little far reaching. i have a i have a terrible memory actually <laughs> really <laughs> but yeah uh and i always link that to the it's not this but i have no sense of smell and smells linked to memory and i wonder if that's oh yeah but i doubt i actually doubt that actually has any connection um but i think i think it was in olga's kitchen that's it's just i'm throwing this out there i used to eat at olga's kitchen all the time uh, michigan local chain incredible um, greek <laughs> greek restaurant um it might have been that you know okay I, cool. we, were, we were definitely in a booth and he passed me the game boy and was showing me this game i might not have even had my game boy at this particular dinner i feel sure. like i was watching on his screen and he was showing me like this is the first time i'd ever heard of zelda i had not heard about it on the nes or the super nintendo this okay. is like my first uh time meeting link Oh. And yeah, I think I like got to play through the beginning of the game at that dinner, and I immediately demanded to my parents that I get the game. And then, <laughs> yeah, um, and then played through it on Game Boy. And again, that game like I had a lot of Game Boy games. I think I got lucky with like um, which games I ended up having on that system. They were all like the hits. I had like yeah. Mario Land Two. I had the Kirby Dream or Kirby's Dream Land One and Two. I think. Ooh. Um, I had yeah like just any of the any of the main Game Boy games you're supposed to have I had them yeah um and this one was like bigger than any like it felt like so much more was packed into this cartridge definitely yeah I don't know I it, to this day like it mystifies me that it was on the Game Boy. <laughs> That, yeah, that's they were, like, po- Pokemon was a Game Boy game too. That game's huge, so it's like, yes. but for whatever reason, this was like one of the early. Like, it was just like, oh, this is the first time I noticed that a game could be that big on that small of a system. Absolutely, those are probably the two best examples I can think of of like sprawling worlds that you can run around in. Where I feel like the majority of other games I had were maybe level based, like the Wario Land or Mario Land series, mm-hmm. um, or. Or puzzle games like a like a Tetris or yeah, like a do- pick up and put down. Yeah, you don't really hang out with those too long. Like bingo. Um, I had well, another game. Did you ever play Final Fantasy Adventure? So I, that was one of the ones I was like, I never had that. I know that's another yes. big one. I never had that, um, but I I know what it is. Also, you know, I would just say similar action adventure game with a sprawling mm-hmm. world. Um, but well, like, what's interesting with the Game Boy too is, and this is true for Link's Awakening, but it doesn't feel that way. Is a lot of games on there were the the underdeveloped or like the the shrunken down versions of games you can get on like the consoles and play yes, in their full form. Definitely, like Donkey Kong Land, like those were like <laughs> really low like low res, low fi versions of the Super Nintendo games. Like Mario Land was very dinky compared oh, to the real especially Mario. Especially that games. first one, it was like yes. looking watching an ant move across the screen. But like part of that was. Hey, it's portable. This is the concession you have to make. Yes. Where is Link's Awakening? Like, I never got the sense that I was playing something that had been watered down or compromised. It was a full world in its own right. And it is it is a watered down version of Link to the Past. That is like what it started development as. Yes. Um, and it just doesn't feel that way. Yeah. It, it doesn't at all. It really feels like its own adventure and it, because it is it, it, was, it was something that they were able to just spend the time with and put the passion into and not have miyamoto's hands all over um to <laughs> do that as, out of there, yeah. yeah as great as he can be he's also you know restrictive we've talked we talked to talked to zig 
and Nick about that a little bit earlier. Um, so you, was this something that you like revisited, uh, as a kid? Did you revisit it throughout your life? Um, where we go from that first playthrough? It's, probably the game i've played the most in my life aside from maybe donkey kong country 2 or something wow and i but i think a lot of like it's funny you say like revisiting because it was also a game that got a remake like one generation later yeah it it got Link's awakening dx on the color on the game boy color and like i rebought that so i had i had like two cartridges of the game within like years of each other it wasn't that long in between um and like you know when you're a kid like getting a new game is a big deal like you don't want to waste that moment like i, I yes. don't know how, some kids probably got every game they wanted but like it was generally a fight for me to like get a new game um, definitely and so big deal to waste it on the same game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh but yeah like that, that probably set the stage at like this is now a game i like to revisit i've replayed it more than any other zelda game um i find it very relaxing to return to it's like a game i kind of know inside and out yeah and then like because it's small and it was portable like i could always just take it with me when i had like an sp in chicago i would like just have it with me in like my backpack or something and i would literally like i would go sit in a park on a sunny day and just play some links awakening to unwind sometimes that sounds um, yeah. like such a nice day that's yeah <laughs> it was great that's hard to incredible. see the screen sometimes in the, in the park like but you know oh yeah do even with the sp like yeah and the, if it's if it's too bright out there it is tough mm-hmm. um which is weird because you do need light to see most game boy screens uh, <laughs> there's a happy medium that's for sure mm-hmm. um that's cool um so you played the okay so you played the regular the dx version and, and with the dx i also had the game boy printer so you can print off the pictures remember like the because I, I game boy camera I, I have such deep love for so i had the printer already because of that yes and you can take pictures with the mouse in uh the in the dx uh-huh. version and then you can actually print them off and there was like variants in them like there's not that many different pictures but like link's face can be different in each of them depending on how you're standing you're like i think they're i can't remember like what the the ways you can tweak it were but that's so interesting yeah, i i, I know that <laughs> i was listening because i ran into that mouse a handful of times when i played through the dx version because maybe i mentioned it to you but i played that and the switch version at the same time this year Yes, you did, and you said you liked the DX one better. I did, um, which is funny because I loved the Switch version the first... I mean, I I loved it the second time I played it, but there's something about the Game Boy version that just hit the right way for me personally. Yeah, it's... it's, So I've had this talk, I think with you even, where I love the Switch one. Mm -hmm. I was so happy that it was getting some, like, modern treatment. Yes. And yet... I don't think I would ever choose to play that over the Game Boy. I played it the one time just to like experience it, but now that yeah. I've played the Switch one, I I like that game so much, and I don't think that's the best version of it. I'm with you, which is funny because you know they got to do that. Uh, I mean, technically, twenty six years later, yeah, they made it after the, that version. And um, it was a game that did not get a lot of like love in the Zelda canon over the years. Like a lot of Zelda games got re released and ported over and remade, and this one was kind of like it was never like disliked i think but in fact it was always praised as like one of the sleeper hits but Mm -hmm. um nintendo like kind of ignored it for a long time (laughs) yeah they did it's it is kind of nuts to think how long that that took to get a you know a remake or or even a port to the 3ds because it seems like maybe this is just speculation but taking a game on that system would be a lot easier to 
I don't know, make an upgraded version for than taking a GameCube game. But maybe that's not even... I don't even know if that's true at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't either. It's I don't like know how games they, work. They, 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 like, they put it on Virtual Console and stuff. It got like yeah. it got its time in the spotlight from time to time. But yeah, I, when they showed the trailer, I, I remember it was like in some E3 or Nintendo Direct or something. And I knew right from the the ocean waves that they yes. had like they had that animation I'm like i'm like they're fucking doing Link's awake like i was very full attention like ready to yeah ready to watch um that's amazing but i love I, that when I, that I think hit that was so cool but what were you hit, gonna say i was gonna say then I, and then they showed like what the game looked like and they were trying to do the the tilt uh what's it called um, tilt shift tilt shift photography look and the little cutesy toy look yes and I think that choice, like a lot of people were like, oh, why does it look like that instead of uh, the way like Link Between Worlds looked or something? Mm-hmm. And it's because they fucking know that a lot of the charm of that game is how shrunken down it was. Yeah. And so they wanted to maintain that vibe of you're playing something that's like a diorama, it's miniature, it's, it's, it, it adds to that dreamlike quality. Um, Definitely. And to me, that's like all this extra work they got to put in for something that the Game Boy did innately. Yes. And that's part of what I, I was immediately turned off by. It. I was like, oh, it looks great. I, the tilt shift looks good. The toy vibe is, is, is a gorgeous look. It's just the second I saw it, I was like, they don't need to make this remake. Yeah. Uh, I was still excited just because people were talking about Link's Awakening again. I wish the game looked like that opening animation the whole time. I loved that. Can you so imagine much. that? <laughs> that also just like, I've, there's been a lot of, you know, I feel like chatter recently about the Castlevania Netflix series, which I haven't seen, but apparently is great. And it's like, if we had like that art style of Link in the opening with like mm. this little series, I would be all for it. There is a rumor. There's been a rumor of a Netflix Zelda show for like five, six years now. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. Uh, you- I think it was like shut down, but then the rumor started up again. So who knows? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, speaking of which, this is completely off topic. Did you see that like thing that came out like maybe a couple months ago about that uh, Star Fox show that was apparently at like Funny yeah. or Die or something like that? I saw some shots of it. I think. Yes, it's like the. Was it, was it, was it college like, humor or was it like? Maybe it was college humor because I feel like. Um, uh, Adam, I forget his last name, was involved with it or something like that. Anyway, mm. just looking at those little puppets or whatever looked or yeah. was really funky, but I kind of wanted to see it. But Have you ever um, seen the old, uh, like, they did the Nintendo Power covers with the Star Fox characters? And I think the box art, too, and it was they used those, like, puppets back in the day that had uh, the metal legs. Yes. And uh, yes. I think one of the Nintendo Power comics implied <laughs> that all the Star Fox pilots had to have their legs amputated to fly the ships. So that was can oh that was gosh. canon for a while. Yeah. It is no longer canon at all. They they will not acknowledge it. <laughs> but I always thought like there's some really interesting lore shit going on with like early Metroid comics and Star Fox comics and Nintendo Power that are like hinting at uh, a much richer world for those characters than we get now. Yes, what a different era of Nintendo than mm-hmm. than the current day, where it's like I mean, it's it's very much. I still love Nintendo. They're more products. careful. They're more Disney, um, and it's I I bingo. resent. I hate all that. Um, yeah, but same here. I miss like yeah, like I mentioned Game Boy Camera earlier. Like there was a period where Nintendo had these like smaller offshoot departments that felt like they were just rebels. They were just doing. <laughs> The most insane shit. Like, Game Boy Camera has, like, little 
parts where you can click a button and then it just shows a staff member's face and you don't know who this human being is with like a mustache drawn on and they're like laughing at you and it's weird and off-putting and scary <laughs> yeah look up look up like the game boy camera like error messages they're, oh my they're gosh weird um and like that game is like some of the bosses in those mini games are like people who worked on the game just their face like thrown in with the game boy camera effect that's so crazy and that team i think went on to do, i think that's I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that team is the WarioWare team and uh, Rhythm Heaven. Like, those, whoever those people were at Nintendo, they were, like, doing God's work. And a lot yeah. of those people, I think, were also involved in Link's Awakening to some capacity. Wow. I, I'm I'm probably mixing up groups. Um, but, like, I, I consider Link's Awakening is, like, one of those things where they were not being, like looked over as mm-hmm. the game was being made like they they were free to do what they wanted they put in goombas and kirby bad guys like yeah the, the game is is like lawless and it's yes. so fucking interesting because of that like that room to innovate also added so like the, the trading quest that became a staple in zelda games yep. like a lot of things that you would expect started in link to the past actually started in link's awakening like, yes we were talking about that mm-hmm. earlier um like the uh, you already named uh, a couple of them but there's also the owl implementation Kipura, Kipura, yeah mm-hmm. there's the like the pre-dungeon quest you got to do for each dungeon yep. and i think that in addition the items that you get in the dungeon you specifically use against the bosses i believe whereas before this game you didn't always do that in a link to the past but in this yeah, one I'm trying I'm, to th- i feel like a link to the past probably had that but i, I think in a couple yeah. there's definitely a few instances it wasn't like, like a one-to-one yeah yeah um so it is uh, th- i had the same realization because i yeah. feel like i wouldn't have expected that um, you also had weird shit like uh, Prince Richard is like from a game that the developers made before called Before the Frog the Bell Tolls. Yes. And so like you have like and you can tell that character's like out of place in that game. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It, I always loved that character because I'm like this this what is going on here? And then you also have like the thief thing where you can steal from the shop and then the game forces your name to be changed to thief for the yes. rest of the game. Like that's such a bold move. It's so it's such a fucking hostile move to the player. Yes. And it's one of the most memorable things I've experienced in a game where, like, finding out you can steal from the store, doing it, and then having a, a punishment for it that lasts the rest of my time playing. Like You're reminded of every yeah. time you boot up the, the game and, and when God. you talk to people. It's... That's nuts. Yeah, it, it it's such a, a wonder. The, you know, I wanted to leave some space for the two of us to talk about some uh, specific things, like, near the end, but I did want to hear from you um, since, you know, we didn't, you know, we're not getting the full time with you. What are, is there like something or a couple things that you'd really like to highlight um, from this game um, before I sort of lead us into uh, talking about the story a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think I've talked about this before on your show at some point, probably, or maybe on Jeremy's, but like um, the tone of Link's Awakening is so special to me. It's like, very hard to pinpoint exactly what i mean by that but like it's very silly it's very sweet it doesn't take itself very seriously but it treats all of its characters like they're very real yeah you have this sense of like yeah an alligator can talk and ask you for bananas but like i am going to be sad when he's killed later like killed being like this game is uh it hits harder than you would expect a silly game to hit Mm mm-hmm um, and it taught me just as a writer that like 
you the less seriously or sorry not the less seriously the more fun you're able to have with the characters in your story the more the player or the audience will connect to them and care about them because you're just it's infectious like if they're if you can tell that the developers are like ah oh, be funny to have like a bunny running around in this city and uh there's two kids playing catch and they're just making little cracks outside of the library yeah. like, these these silly ideas that they had that they wanted to throw in um that like or like a what's the fisherman under the bridge or like stuff like that where yes these unique weird moments that are all memorable and hit harder than just like a generic video game type of npc um and when they all come together at the end and you realize you're gonna have to lose these people and that by doing your task you have to say goodbye that goodbye actually lands like yes. that's a that's yep. a tough thing to get across uh it's tough to make people care about characters and you can do that by just being a stellar writer and like explaining their motivations but this huge cast is so cute and lovable and goofy and like it kind of all becomes instead of just individual characters it becomes this community that you are now like in love with and i don't know it's it's a it's a very exciting balance for me Uh, i love the sense of humor in the game i love like how one like one one of the characters is just like the sim city guy and he's in love with princess peach like who he thinks is princess peach (laughs) Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know, like, it's it's so, it's just so freewheeling and fun and goofy, and that helps you connect to it so much more. Like, that's Absolutely. why it, that's why it hits, yeah. I'm in total agreement with you, and from what I've gathered, it seems, I would venture to guess that a lot of the reason this is the case is because the, like, as we detailed earlier in the show, the after-school-like environment that this thing was sort of born from and how it was away from... You know, Tezuka was, you know, worked directly with Miyamoto on A Link to the Past and I'm sure other projects before that, but this was him and the other team's, like, time away to where, like you were saying, they got to just do what they wanted outside of the clutches of Nintendo, in a sense, which this could... There's funny Zelda games, there's funny writing in the games, but this one has to be like the most charming in that specific yeah, way. Yeah, 100%. I think. Because it's like, it's not even joke writing necessarily, it's just like, it's such an absurd, silly tone that it's kind of just delightful to see what you're going to come up against next. And it's not like, it's not the uh, the early 2000s random humor of just like, anything could happen, oh, the spoon, whatever. Like, Lois. <laughs> Yeah, that. Uh, and I got, I honestly, like, I like Invader Zim. Like, that's kind of what I'm referencing in my head with that. Oh, gotcha. Um, but, like, no, I, there, it doesn't it doesn't feel unfair when, or, like, weird or random when you step into a hut and there's an alligator there. Like, it's just, you buy into this island. Definitely. And it helps that this game is about dreams. Yes. That this game is trying to make you feel like things aren't quite right. Um it's it's doing so it's also very twin peaks inspired but it's doing so in a way that i think is different than that which is like it's it's very preoccupied with uh having fun with what a dream would allow you to put in a game and not like the the almost satoshi Kon approach of like what is a dream what are what what is real and what isn't like it's not about that it's almost just saying this stuff is real like it is yeah. a dream. It's not really in question if, like, these characters that you're meeting are real and alive. They are, but they're going to disappear. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, that's that's where the crux of it is. Like, it's not asking a question. It's not like a Blade Runner, like, what what is it like to be human? What is it like to be alive? It's, no, 
the things you dream are alive. <laughs> yeah. And when they when they disappear, they disappear. And that is a loss. That is like a very real loss. Yeah, it sort of reminds me, this is a completely different thing, but of like not focusing on the mechanics of like time travel in a time travel movie or game, <laughs> but more focusing on l- the things around it, like you're talking about, like these people and the loss of them disappearing as opposed to, but wait, how do they disappear sort of thing? <laughs> well, what's funny is like I, I resent that in a sci-fi movie, like when it when they do gloss over the time travel. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they do it in Looper, and I like I like Looper actually, but yes. I, I've always hated when people like praise that line where it's like, oh, don't who gives a shit how this works? And it's like, that's a cop out to me like t- like fucking tenet or whatever any of any of nolan's movies where he's like very disinterested in actually explaining what's going on like you walk away being confused and i think a lot of people mistake that for like oh nolan's so much smarter than me and it's like no absolutely not he is <laughs> he is being lazy he is like that to me is different than what Link's awakening is doing sure. which is it's it is still very deeply interested in exploring what a dream is mm-hmm. and what a dream can be and what the the world of that dream might mean to the dreamer like definitely it's it's not lazy it's not just half-hassedly think or half-hassedly thinking about this it is approaching it in a unique way i'm saying like if if you watch like a uh, inception or like satoshi kun's paprika like they're concerned with a different aspect of dream they're concerned with like uh, almost a philip k dick ubik style thing of like losing grip with reality and uh well like that's paprika that's ubik and then nolan is really concerned with like the math and the, the the logic of these worlds and it's a very cold approach like that's like a very different version yeah. so there's like throughout all these properties i just listed there's like three different approaches to what a dream can be and twin peaks is probably closest to Link's awakening mm-hmm. in that uh twin peaks is using almost like a like an eastern um like philosophical approach to like dreams can be importance of things to come and uh dream interpretation that's not Link's awakening either though Link's awakening is just like when you are in a fictional place, in a fictional realm, and this can be transcribed to any fictional story, it's real. It's real to you while it exists. Yeah. And when it's got to go, and it inevitably will, that's that's something you're actually, that, that's a part of you that's that's going away. Definitely. Like, it's, it's v- taking the idea of dreams very seriously in a way that I think is very lighthearted, but not, uh, not slapdash like it's it's great it's not like that deep either it's very it's very much like yeah this is it we just wanted to tell this goofy story it's a framing device more than anything it just happens to all work like it's not like it's that important of a story either it's yeah really it's um it really makes you know playing this game you know i mean really just like truly mainlining this game in two different versions at the same time this year Mm -hmm. um being my technically my second and third playthroughs of it ever um i was really struck by the like what you something you were just discussing which is like when you're in a fictional world these things and people are real because that's where you are you're experiencing them it just made me think a lot about honestly real life and like and sort of like what happens when people do leave this world and and things like that. It just made me think of some bigger uh, things. I think it's... A, yeah, it's, it's asking questions about mortality um, in a way that I, I think only Majora's Mask and like in the world of Zelda have, have also even tried to tackle. Yeah. And Majora's Mask, I, I got to bring that up because it's like, it's, I, it's my other favorite Zelda game and it's yeah. for a lot of the same reasons. It is 
uh, a B team going nuts with whatever they want. Yeah. Um, very loose and silly characters and situations that you don't normally find in one of the more serious Zeldas. Um, and it is about the world ending. That one's more like direct. Yes. From the beginning. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff. It's about, uh, I mean, even if it's not about the same stuff, it's about, or it, it's, it shares that quality of you connect to these silly characters much more than you might otherwise. And then, by hanging this like threat of uh, non-existence and doom over them, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's heavy. That's the one I'm. I've played through. That's my personal favorite Zelda. Mm-hmm. I, I have like a ranking currently on my when I stream these <laughs> games, and um, Link's Awakening has shot up to fourth, but it could nice. pass. So right now it goes because I know you you and everyone else wants to, wants to know this. It goes uh, Majora. Uh, ocarina um as much as i always try to knock that one down my list i just it's hard know it. yeah i just I feel know so, it doesn't really earn its spot that high but it's so special yeah yeah and it was my first so it's really hard to pull away from yeah, that yeah i get that um breath of the wild is three currently and then link's awakening and then link to the past but link's awakening could even over this next year pass breath of the wild i think for me just personally um yeah like i i think majora's mask is probably the best Zelda Mm -hmm. that's I would like go that far I mean I would say like Breath of the Wild and Majora's Mask are two of the mechanically best Zeldas like most interesting gameplay wise definitely and as a game like yeah and then of course I think Majora's Mask beats out Breath of the Wild just because it's way more interesting story wise too and the Mm -hmm. gameplay is married very deeply to that story in a way that you know I don't I don't see a lot of other Zelda games going that far with that however despite all of that Link's Awakening is like just to me very special so i, I gotta yeah. put it above but yeah and you know i also think it all these years later having gotten to play both of these versions recently i really think that this game does as much good as any zelda game really does like i don't think there are many if any aspects of this game that i think are i mean not to like you know quantify it but i don't think there's many if anything that's not good in this game or that sucks i mean there's yeah, it's tight it's it's so simple and wound like i don't know there, there's there, there really aren't weak spots like all the dungeons are really interesting and fun so good uh, some overworld, of the best in the series i think yeah i agree i the, god i love them the, the so boss good. fights the combat like there's there's a lot going on that like it's just no yeah no weak links yeah uh, pun intended um, the only, yeah, right. The only, I mean, there's definitely small criticism, uh, criticisms the, the, that are the weapons, the, the weapon slots. I and, can't. and you know what I'll even say, dude, for that, <laughs> yeah. I have gotten to the point having, like I said, played both of them at the same time. I didn't mind it. And I sort of thought it was like fun and like got into it, but I understand that like, if you're playing it for the first time now, maybe you wouldn't feel that way, but I don't know. I was, as a kid, I didn't question it cause it was like the the best the game boy could offer there's Seriously. only so many buttons yeah um but like early revisits to the game that was a huge frustration i was like yeah oh, wow this is like cumbersome yeah i think even less that is lower down my list of things than the constant repeating of the yep text the, when you get the, the acorn or the triforce uh, that's that is absolutely unfortunate and they kept it's, it in the switch version like yeah what is the point of that it's but I mean, honestly, other than that, there's really nothing that I don't think is good. I think that, like you said, it's very tight. I love the 
tile screen thing that is like yeah that's the thing that's, that i felt like was slightly lost in the remake about to say the same thing yeah, yeah. like there was something really gamey and, and nice about just like clearing room by room and trying to fill out all the tiles on the map like yeah. that's linked, that's linked to the past too it's not like brand new for this but ah yeah it's great it really is um uh yeah it's it's just so dang good um um well was there was there anything else that you wanted to discuss it's funny having like chatted about all this today i can't even remember <laughs> what i might be repeating so i'm a little hesitant to bring stuff up but if there was oh, all good. something else about this game that you wanted to focus on or start with we could i mean i was willing to go with the flow yeah um i don't have like specific notes but i'm looking at like your your notes for what we were supposed to talk about you wanted to talk about the ending and like um yeah, that would or be. Do you, want, do, do you want to go right to that, or should we? Talk why about don't that? we? Since we're since we're you know we're with the windfish himself, so <laughs> so why don't we talk about that a little bit? Um, it it's uh, we talked a little bit about this before you hopped on um, with Nick and Zig, but the we talked about the sort of like weird idea of like this egg and this fish waking up, but also like ending the world. And uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on just the end and the strangeness of it. There's got to be it's got to be rooted in some mythology, some mysticism, uh, like the idea of like an egg and rebirth. Obviously. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like it is fascinating to think of like a fish being like born from a giant egg on top of a mountain. It's just a good <laughs> yes. image. It's a great and this floating whale. He's really more of a whale. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and do you think they call him the wind fish because he flies? You know, not even questioning yeah, it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare to. Um, probably. I wonder Plays if it has a, more of the dream stuff where it's like it's not everything's gonna make total sense. Yeah, I wonder if it has a different name or if that's like a trans, like a literal translation. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I should look into that. I know that in Skyward Sword they kind of do an homage to the windfish again. Do you remember that? Oh, is it with um? There's like a giant windfish esque creature that is. Uh, it's not deliberately the windfish, but I, I do think it's like meant to be a nod. Yeah, um, they. I think it's like on the. It's like you're in the sky area, but through a different spot to go to this like hidden thing. You know, I don't even remember what it's called. I can't remember either. It's I've only played that game once. Um, um, it there's also you know what I did not remember that when um you in Majora's Mask when you get the little band together in the milk bar. The yeah. song that they play is they the Ballad, Ballad of the, the Windfish. Windfish. I didn't yep. even remember that because I yeah. didn't know it when I played that until yep, this time. Nod. Yeah, that's I forgot about that. Uh, that Ballad of the Windfish is one of my favorite Zelda tunes in the whole series. And that's like, that's pretty tough competition, I think. Yeah, you mean the one from the Milk Bar or just the Ballad in general? Just the Ballad in general. I yes. think there's, there's really not that many canon versions of it. Like, they're mm -hmm. all really, like limited to game boy blips and bleeps i guess we have the new one from uh the switch but yeah i love i've fallen in love with it this year but that mm -hmm. the, the ballad of the windfish specifically um and hearing you know marin singing it is always really cute uh, truly it's one of those moments yeah. in games where i just sort of like let her sing and just like try to you know st take a step back and just relax yeah. for a second that's a game i loved to live in like i, I really just I always talk about like uh, a game that could really like a really immersive game is one where you just want to live in the world and pretend to be the character for a little bit. Like, yeah, you ever, you ever played the friends of Ringo Ishikawa? No, never. 
this is it's like an indie game that is um essentially like what if river city ransom was a moody coming of age story okay and um it's got like elements of persona too where you're, you're playing like this like hooligan uh punk like kind of slacker kid in high school in japan and you can go to school you can skip school you can go start fights under the underpass um you can go work out at the gym you can like choose what to do each day and it's so moody and effective there's like a button that's devoted just to smoking cigarettes (laughs) so like and there's a bunch of really unique animations like if you go up to a railing you can like lean on the railing and like just stare out over the the river like oh cool really really nice things where the game understands that it wants you to just like be this character like don't worry about gaming it out just like what would this guy do yeah would he go to school right now how do you feel would you smoke a cigarette right now there's a button for that great go try it like and just kind of get into that headspace of like this aimless teen who is disillusioned with the world and doesn't know what he wants to do and he's just getting into fights and getting yelled at at school like become him and I mean, Link's Awakening is not really trying to do a lot of that, but my point is there are games where they achieve that for me. And like, whereas Friends of Ringo Ishikawa is like an experiment in getting you to that point as yeah. quickly as possible, Link's Awakening just has these moments where I, I'm so deeply attached to Marin and her oh singing in, in, the, in the town square. And you're right. Like, I just want to sit there and listen. I used to do that too. I would just like, <laughs> just live in the moment, like just let the character stand there and as if they might actually do in the, if that game was a real space. I don't know. It was uh, effective. It really was. Uh, and it's, it's like something that still holds up today. Um, like I don't think I have played, I've, I mean, I've actually played some new games for me recently that I've been really impressed by. Um, I, I know we talked about, we've talked a lot about Shadow of the Colossus, but I played Eco oh, yeah. for the first time. Wow, yeah. Um, that was really fantastic. I'm playing Metal Gear Solid for the first time right now. Uh, okay. So anyway, I've had a couple new experiences that are great. But f- to be playing a game from 1993 <laughs> on the Game Boy, um, like I am just, I was so impressed by it. And I, it's, it's crazy to me how well it seemingly holds up to the point where, like we said, we both prefer it to the remake, mm-hmm. as good as that is. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I think it's a, a good like reason we might prefer it is the Game Boy Zeldas are by necessity so simplified. Like it's just the core essence of Zelda. Yeah. Like they can't be anything extra. They have to just be Zelda. And that's like the most you can fit on the cartridge. Yes. And so there's something to be said for like just just being forced by limitations to simplify everything about your gameplay into such a small package is like yeah it's it's nice like and the switch version has the problem of it's it's got to maximize a lot of that minimalism mm-hmm. and you it's, it's just it doesn't hit as hard like it's not that the game needs to be small it's just that it's part of its charm is that it was yes and like i feel this i like the oracle games as well they're like for the same reason they, they are very like packed tiny adventures mm-hmm. and link to the past is like another version where it feels like it's in the middle ground to me where like it's such a perfect game but because there's like a more condensed version and then better versions, like it's there's better versions on both ends. It's kind of stuck in the middle. Where like Ocarina of Time is like, what if Link to the Past was fully blown up, and yes. Link's Awakening is what if it was squeezed down to his essence? Yes. And, yeah. yeah. Gosh. Um, well, I feel like we've gotten to talk about so much uh, wonderful stuff about this game. Um, unless you have like something big you want to share, I say we move on to the legacy. Let's move on to the legacy. All right.
right, so uh, Mr. Windfish, we're going to close out by just talking about you know uh, our perception of the of the legacy and any final thoughts we might have about Link's Awakening. Um, one one of my big takeaways for for the legacy is something we've discussed a handful of times is the norms that this game established because um, obviously it took. 26 years for this game to basically well you know it got the dx remake but 26 years <laughs> to like sort of resurface to like the to the public eye again and um it's just nuts how much uh of the norms in the series that it established especially you know like the the traditional zelda formula that we know um it's really really crazy um but uh, yeah, what about what are any legacy thoughts for you on like Link's Awakening's legacy, whether it's like significant or or minimal? I mean, since it's the first one I played, uh, it is always hard for me to like really gauge what it really did for the, sure. the series. Yes, because in my eyes, it did everything, which isn't true. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, the obvious ones are like the trading quest, a lot of the weapon. We talked, we talked about all that, but I mean. I don't know the the idea that it was an exercise in shrinking it down to its core essence probably clarified for the developers and the Zelda team like exactly what needed to be in a Zelda game. Yes, because when you're making a Game Boy version, a portable version of one of your main franchises, you do have to start with like, okay, we can't fit everything. What makes it Zelda? And so if if it did anything, it clarified what Zelda is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm. Now that I'm now that you're saying that, I think you're totally right. But it's interesting to know that and see that they've never well the Oracle games maybe a little bit, but to me it seems like they mostly have because they have the space and to do it. They've gone back to the more a little mm-hmm. bigger, a little more not fluff, yeah. but there's just more space to for things to happen and almost it all kind of, their of feels releases. yeah it feels like um, for a while there. I'm sure they're gonna keep this up, but like. Zelda kind of was split into two sub-franchises, one of them being all the 3D Zeldas, one of them being the 2D ones. Yes. And for a while, the 2D ones were all relegated to handheld, but Switch has now muddied that up a little bit. Like, yep. It used to be every few years they might they might do either a port or a brand new game. Like Link Between Worlds was... I would like to see more of that. I would have rather have seen a brand new 2D Zelda than the Link's Awakening remake, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you do have that split. You do have like two completely different Zeldas um, that are still both Zelda. They're not like that crazily different. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean that, that did kind of set the stage for like, there was going to be the second strain, the portable Zeldas that would all keep coming. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And it's funny. Like you said, they're both just sort of living in the same ecosystem. Now I hope we continue. I don't know about you, but I would love to see a new top down Zelda. Yeah, and they, they gotta be. I feel like they gotta be working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we discussed this a little earlier. I- I'm a believer that like there's Zelda stuff to come this year. Um, I just think they would be leaving money off on the table if they did. Um, I don't think it's Nintendo, the goodness of their hearts to honor the Zelda fans and release another game. I think they just know they can make money. So yeah, I'm really hoping for um for some some new great top down 2D game that maybe would take a page out of the book of this one and you know be this tight because it works and it feels like a full game and there's still plenty of like there's enough yeah. little side stuff to do too it's kind of interesting and maybe a, a huge credit to the game boy design team but like the Link's awakening remake 
uh, still has like all, all the gameplay limitations of the Game Boy game. Like mm-hmm. it plays like a Game Boy game. It feels like it's not a Switch game for sure. Like yes. you have to, I don't know, you have to like select an item to lift it. Or no, I guess they streamlined that like with the with the power bracelet. But like, yes, it's still tile based. You still have to like pick up little blocks and throw them like and push them around in rooms. That's all Game Boy shit. And yep. it's really funny to see that on a big budget Switch title. That should not have cost sixty bucks, but yeah, yeah, we talked about we talked about that earlier <laughs> yeah. too. Where I was like, you know, for me, I was like, I never played it, and I was like, yeah, I'm down. Uh, but I like we said, plenty of people are like, why is this sixty dollars? <laughs> this just, yeah. this doesn't they, make sense. They have they have some pricing issues. Nintendo, uh, very very much more evil company than anyone is ever willing to admit. <laughs> oh yeah, I could just rant about their practices so for forever as i've done on on this network enough times as much as i love the (laughs) products that eventually come out for the most part Mm -hmm. um yeah uh yeah this game you know i know that i think you said it's your personal favorite or it's up there yeah i i swap back and forth between this and majora and i also really love wind waker yes um but i again i think like just in terms of like objectively I would say Majora's Mask and Breath of the Wild are like just the full packages. They're mm-hmm. they're uh, like Majora's Mask is less um, appealing, I think, to a lot of like people. It's it's much more like you need to really be in the mood to play a game that is hostile to the player. Oh yeah, it's, um, it is, and I really like hostile game design mm-hmm. because I I think it's interesting. I think you can get a lot more out of game design by asking and trusting the player to like let you harass them a little bit sure um breath of the wild is much more like a crowd pleaser to me but like no less innovative no less like here's i mean this is all shit everyone knows um but like wind waker i think is probably the best they ever did just a straightforward adventure zelda without Mm. much like it's just doing everything zelda should do and does it well um not trying to do anything too flashy or new it's just like it is a story you got to stop ganon you got to go from each dungeon to dungeon like I think it's probably the best iteration of like the Ocarina of Time type games. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, but I love Ocarina of Time too. That was like one of my yeah. earliest ones. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess my my final thoughts are like I, and then if you have any, I'd love to hear from you too. It's just personally, like I've been talking about this whole time, I can't believe how much I love this game now. And it's something <laughs> that I am so disappointed that as a little kid with a Game Boy and who be got on the Nintendo Power Train after Ocarina, like this was probably being advertised to me, and I never thought it's to so ask fast. for it or like. <laughs> and so, I while I'm disappointed that I couldn't, I didn't have this in my life earlier. I'm so thankful to have it now because I there's it's almost hit me at the perfect time. There's so mm-hmm. much about just not only how good the game is, but like the, the things we were discussing with the, with the dream, with the dream and the reality of like those things, things are always come to an end sort of thing. Um, yeah, this game is really, really special. I look, I want to play this every year now. And it seems like <laughs> one that you could kind of revisit quickly. Yeah, it's just if you nice. Want. It's like you, you get to know it very well. Like, I mean, at least in my case, like it's not like, that challenging to go back to or anything it's just a, a like old buddy to hang out with for a definitely yeah i love that well that's the all the last of what i had to say did you have anything you wanted to wrap up before we head out 
Yeah, we covered it, man. We we talked about Link's Awakening. Killer. Well, um, thank you so much for for taking the time to do this, Alec. It's always fun to talk games of with course. you. Yeah. Um, but you know, of course, as we know, after we do plugs, you're gonna wake up since you're the windfish, and this whole island's gonna disappear. Um, yep. So I'll lead off. Uh, or actually, why don't you go ahead and plug anything you want if you want the listener to find you somewhere if there's anything you're excited about, and then I'll close us out. Sure, you can follow me on Twitter at Alec Robbins, uh, and you can you can go read Mr. Boop, my comic, on uh, on my Twitter or at mrboop.net, and you can also buy little books of it if you want them. Heck yeah, awesome. Uh, well, thanks again, and I'll close this out too. Um, uh, I, of course, am Connor. Uh, you can find me uh, on uh, Twitter at Connor underscore McCabe. You can check me out on Twitch at Twitch dot tv slash cons is cool 69 where throughout the year i'm streaming the majority of the uh, mainline zelda series usually sundays and thursdays sometimes the time will like flip around follow me on social media and you'll actually see what i'm doing um so yeah if you want to check me out and talk about zelda while i play uh do that it's been a lot of fun to interact with some people um and thank you to all of our patrons out there who subscribe at our dj toad tier who are getting this as these episodes come out twice a month and then if you're listening in the future once we've released this to the masses sometime in late 2021 thank you so much uh check out our other podcasts my show is called call me by your game i sit down with uh, a guest and talk about a game that uh, was impactful to them from their past alec uh, came on to do donkey kong country 2 and has also been on our uh, co-op episode uh, that we keep referencing shadow of the Colossus. so <laughs> so if you're listening in the future Check out our other stuff. If you had a good time today, you're probably going to like a lot of what we do. Um, And now uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, just, I guess, the windfish is awake. I finished the plugs. You got to play the song. You got to play the Ballad of the Windfish. There we go. That'll play. And we'll see you on the next one.